Hello, welcome and bienvenue. Konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 266 on Sunday, the 22nd of January, 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And uh, tonight we are joined by one of our favourite iconoclasts, <laughs> David Matheson. How you doing, Dave? Nice to see you again. Well, it's great to be here, Phil. Thanks. Nice to see you and Ben and Matt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was enjoying that intro. I, I didn't really coordinate my wardrobe with the intro, but I realized I'm wearing my They Live colors right Yeah. Now. What's that thing you've got around your neck? Oh, it's a, uh, it's a necklace from Utah, from one of my trips up to see the Grimerica team and the Brothers of the Serpent team in beautiful Bryce Canyon and Zion Canyon in Utah, which we do every year. We go there. We've got the great Brandon Powell, who I don't know if you're familiar with Brandon Powell. He has been on Grand America several times. He did this fantastic interview about the D.B. Cooper story with a friend of his, and that's definitely must-listen material. Brandon is a professional martial artist, Brazilian jiu-jitsu master. He's also a Wim Hof method master. So he and, you know, he's a master instructor for Wim Hof. He hangs out with Wim or Wim Hof and does ice baths and breath work and martial arts. And he's going to be there as we, we always do this event. So it's Brandon and I, the guys from Grand America, the guys from Snake Brothers and under the stars at Bryce Canyon. So we go out and actually look at the night sky and I point out different constellations using a laser pointer and we hike around in Bryce and Zion and then we do the breath work and those who want to do it do the ice baths and it's just a great time so and that's actually coming up in April so there's I think there's some slots left on that but uh, last time I went I actually had an event with Randall down in Sedona Arizona the weekend before so <laughs> you ask us ask a simple question get a long answer I drove from after the Randall event, it was Randall and I and some others in Sedona, Arizona, beautiful uh, event and beautiful terrain and geography. And also there's there's some energy centers there in Sedona. In fact, I think I've heard people say that the Native Americans always said Sedona is not really a place where you live. Sedona is a place where the energy is so strong, you go there for certain things. I don't know. That's anecdotal was told to me by somebody but i have experienced that as a child we used to go to sedona and i went to one of the vortexes and people would 
you know, talking about the vortexes is like energy centers on the earth. Uh, you know, you don't want to mess around with them. And I was like, you know, young teenager. And I was like, yeah, ha ha, BS, you know. And um, I messed around like at the vortex. I like danced around at it, spun around. And I was like, ha ha, you know, vortex, blah, blah, blah. Next day I was violently sick to my stomach, throwing up like, you know, out of nowhere and for like half a day. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't... I don't mess with the vortexes anymore. I don't talk bad about the vortexes. I don't disbelieve in the vortexes. I believe in the vortexes. Anyway, uh, we're still on the necklace. Um, I drove from that uh, from that event, went and checked out. There's a tremendous meteor crater not far from there. It's called Meteor Crater, Arizona. Beautiful, like it's a mile wide. Continued on up to the Grand Canyon. Checked that out a little bit on the way. Just made a leisurely, leisurely tour up to um, Bryce and Zion to meet up with the Grand America team for that event. And so on the way, I stopped at various, you know, there's just funky, um, like jewelry shops in the middle of nowhere. And that's where I found and they're, they're, you know, <laughs> kind of old guy was like, yeah, I bought this shop from this hippie in the 70s. And, you know, it's just like jam packed full of stuff. He's like, yeah, that one, I, don't, I think that came from like 72 or something. I don't know, but I really liked it. And I've uh, been wearing it ever since. Ask a, ask a simple question and get a promo for the upcoming <laughs> gig <laughs> in Utah. Yeah. Everybody listening better sign up and, and, and meet me under the stars there. Yeah, and I, th- I believe that event is called Name 420 as well. It is on. It's starting on uh, April twentieth. I'm not sure what that means. Four twenty. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pure coincidence. It's, <laughs> it don't mean anything. No significance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Darren at Grand America must have picked that date. It actually, court. We try and make it correspond with the new moon. So, hey, we're we're doing this episode on the lunar new year, the lunar new year, new year. You know, Chinese New Year, um, and surrounding surrounding cultures around China celebrate their lunar new year. In fact, as I was you know kind of just briefly saying before the show it appears that almost every ancient culture had a lunar slash solar calendar and then there was this something happened where we went to a full solar solar only and we still have quote-unquote months but they're completely divorced from the actions of the of the moon so anyway we planted around the new moon and it just happens this year for the first time uh, the event, the weekend, the new moon, and uh, the schedule landed on 420. It'll go like April 20th through the 24th, I believe, are the dates. You're right. It is a 420 event, and it's usually um, there's breath work of all different types going on there. <laughs> well, that's a good introduction. Um, now, we were talking about what we might, you know, earlier in the week, what we might want to discuss and uh, I brought up your second book. Ben's got it. Uh, not your it second is. book. The second book that I'm reading of yours, Myth and Trauma. <laughs> and um, nice. what I like about your, your stuff, Dave, is you've got all these connections between the constellations and the myths <clears throat> and sacred texts and sort of drawing these parallels about how the constellations can sort of retell the story of the myths and... While that's all very fascinating from like a historical perspective or even an anthropological perspective, your stuff goes a step further because you go into sort of like, well, so what? What does what can we learn from it? What does it tell us? How can we 
uh, take lessons from the myths or implement them. So I thought that would be a nice sort of um, path to go down because this is your third time on here and we've covered quite a few um, astro-theological stuff, uh, sort of um, examples. And we're happy to do more of them, but I was just wanting to keep in mind the sort of implementation process and, and whatnot. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that, uh, you know, nice cameo for my book. Thanks, Ben. That's Myth and Trauma, which was actually published in 2020. So it's my most recent book. And I need to, you know, get another one out there because I have learned and grown even since that one. But it is my most recent work. Um, I do have a couple of uh, online courses that have more recent thought of mine. But I really appreciate what you're saying that um, this isn't just a crossword puzzle or an intellectual exercise of, hey, can we tie this myth to this constellation? Yes, we can. But this was almost an existential question for me because I was believing the Bible to be literal. It was a huge part of my identity. It was helping me to understand, you know, try and make sense of why am I here? What's going on? Why do I act this way? Why do I self-sabotage myself this way? And I think that's why people turn to the Bible. And I believe you can find those answers there, but it's not literal. So just for those who haven't watched the other episodes, my work involves the evidence that the world's ancient myths from ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, ancient India, around the world, in fact, the Americas, the Pacific, the world's ancient myths from around the globe are based on the stars using a common system. And that includes the stories in the Bible. They're ancient myths. They're ancient stories. And they are also all based on the stars. So if all the ancient myths are based on the stars, including the Bible, they're all connected in some way. There's all kinds of ramifications to that. But as someone who was taking the Bible literally, first of all, I was excited to see the connections between Greek myths and the stars, Norse myths and the stars, as I started to discover those. And I'm by no means am I the first to start to see that, but I really became obsessed with it. And I've spent a lot of time trying to understand that language. But I was also, I was hesitant to see it in the Bible at first, because no, Samson must have been a literal person. Moses must have been a literal person, because the Bible is you know, inerrant God's, you know, revelation to man. And uh, if Moses is a constellation, or how about this, Jesus is a constellation, what does that mean for me, who's been kind of building my life around it? Uh, so my question was, well, what, why? Why are all these things based on the stars? Is it just, quote unquote, just like an intellectual exercise? Is it, or a lot of, um, you know, if you were to talk about this with maybe academia, first of all, they will not go so far as to say all the world's myths are based on the same system. But you might get some kind of response like, hmm, well, it's very interesting. But of course, stars are visible around the world. OK, well, it doesn't it doesn't follow from that that everybody would base their mythologies and their sacred texts on the stars. That's just setting that aside. But then they'll say something like, well, people have to plant crops. And, uh, you know, they they were starting to learn agriculture. And so this is maybe the cycles of the heavens. 
tells you when to plant crops and when to harvest. And, you know, we've got harvest gods like Dionysus or the goddess Demeter or Ceres who gave the grain or Saturn or Kronos or different gods and goddesses, Osiris, associated with the harvest. And they'll say, well, it's all about that. And I would say, first of all, we, um, we don't need elaborate myths to tell us when it's getting colder and don't plant crops in the middle of winter when there's frost all over the ground. I mean, that's just, that's ludicrous. Second of all, these myths have layers and layers and they get bizarre. And, you know, why do we need four gospels if it's about when to plant crops? You know, why do we need all these different angles and layers and, and elaborate, you know, the stories are extremely elaborate and in some cases bizarre and in some cases um, disturbing. And they're about all kinds of things that ostensibly have nothing to do with planting. And that's all just a big dead end. It's not about planting. And first of, and, and first of all, yet another piece of evidence is there are cultures that are not really agricultural that have ancient myths that aren't, they're not really uh, having to worry about maybe winters, let's say in the Pacific, you know, Hawaiian islands have the myths of Maui. They're at, located around, you know, around 19 degrees north latitude. That is in the tropics. We don't have much variation of, you know, frost or snow or things like that. It is, and, and you know, they did grow, um, grow things like uh, sweet potatoes, kumaras and things like that. But it wasn't really that their whole society was based around crops and they would starve to death if they didn't, you know, get the grain harvest in at the right time or the wine harvest in or something like that, um, which they didn't actually have alcoholic beverages. That's that's another interesting side note about that whole part of the world. But um, it's not about that. That's BS. It's about something deeper. And I was, as someone who was aware that there's so much truth and beauty in the Bible, and it, it spoke to me a lot. I was trying to figure out, well, okay, if it's all based on the stars, it's all metaphorical, then what's it about? What's it for? So that's what I've been really wrestling with and moving towards over the years, trying to figure that out. And as you alluded to, kind of finish off this long uh, rambling answer, I am convinced more and more, and, and the more I listen to these cutting edge psychologists who are discovering things about our inner landscape and about this concept of trauma and separation from self, separation from who you are, these are the terms they themselves use. It is very clear, even before I heard them, it was very clear to me that the myths are talking about higher self or authentic self or deeper self when it has twins and twinning patterns those aren't two different people that's different aspects of, we all have that or even the 12 disciples are not 12 different people the 12 different disciples and jesus are not 12 or actually 13 different people that's all part of your inner landscape that they're describing you have a peter-like part of your personality that's kind of headstrong maybe blurts things out without thinking and you you have a Thomas part of your personality that's kind of doubting and maybe suspicious and doesn't want to get burned. And all those are actually, you know, and different people have more Peter and some people might have more Thomas and something, but we actually all have a Jesus, an inner self that's deep, authentic self that actually gets suppressed or buried, just like Jesus gets put down in the tomb. 
gets wounded, gets um, traumatized even, but is basically indestructible, comes back from no matter what. And psychology, this is not me just uh, babbling on, this is what psychologists have found working with you know, men and women or teenagers who have been through traumatic, horrific things, that there's some kind of an indestructible, deeper self along with all those other parts of who we are, the disciples or the different gods and goddesses of ancient Greece, that's actually describing our inner landscape. And it is profoundly helpful to us. And that's why people gravitate towards the Bible or towards the myths, because they are instinctively realizing this is actually, there's some truth and beauty here. Unfortunately, it's been turned into all kinds of things that, um, can actually inflict trauma instead of healing trauma. Religion can inflict a lot of trauma. And um, and so that's uh, a long answer to a great observation that I'm not just, just showing how it's related to the stars and then, you know, using that to put down, uh, yeah, see, it's, it's all just a hoax or it's all just to oppress humanity. It's not actually, it's to uplift humanity. And it's got a profound positive thing to, to show us and help us with even today in this modern time. Um, but it's like written in a code or it's written in a esoteric metaphorical way that we have to, you've got to be able to see kind of the code and how it operates in order to hear its message. Mm. And as far as like the constellations or the meaning behind them being hidden, you um, make a point in the book about the structure of the constellations that you use. The H is it Hans Ray? Is it the author who? That's right, Hans Augusto Reierbach, I think was his original name, and um, he's. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, half jokingly say the most important author in history or at least in the 20th century and people say oh yeah what did he write well h he, he shortened his name to h a ray he and his wife margaret ray they went through some adventures uh, that we could get into if if, if if you want to if necessary if you want to go there but um yeah what did he write to be to be classified as the most important author in history or one of the most important authors in history he wrote the curious george books along with his wife margaret and everybody's like um you know is this guy like should i turn off the podcast now is this guy <laughs> <laughs> rocker <laughs> um not not only did he write the curious george books which i think the first one was published in 46 1946 or 1947 significant dates right the, the end of world war ii we just had this conflagration that almost you know destroyed everything and um we could argue about whether world war ii did ever end um but uh for whatever reason in 1952 after uh curious george had you know children's book illustrated and written by h.a ray and his wife margaret great success they were living in greenwich new york after escaping you know, the Nazis in marching into Paris, just like, you know, you see in Casablanca when they're uh, in the movie Casablanca, when the Nazis are coming into Paris, that's when he and his wife rode out on bicycles to get away and escape to Western hemisphere. But um, 1952, he wrote this book, The Stars, A New Way to See Them. And I also joke that he should have written this, called it The Stars, 
an extremely ancient way to see them. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and because it's like he's revealing the right way to see the outlines of the constellations. And he does have, I talk about it in that book, a few little hints that he did know <laughs> that this was very ancient. But he, to my knowledge, he never came out and said this. So what he comes out and says is the way we connect the stars is atrocious. You know, seeing the stars is a wonderful uh, thing to do. You can go out and see these constellations. But when we're shown the constellations, we get these flowery um, kind of artistic, oh, here's Virgo. And you see this beautiful woman holding a sheaf of wheat and wearing flowing robes. And you go out in the sky and you're like, uh, uh, where, where is that again? So that's one unhelpful way. And then he says, then we've got this that's kind of the way they did it in the 1800s and the 1700s. But then we get this modern reaction against that that goes too far the other way, and it's just kind of a jumble of sticks. And you you can't even remember what the outline is. And I could show you a few. Just like go to Wikipedia and look up almost any zodiac or other constellation and, and go, uh, how do I even remember that? And then you go out in the sky, and it's like, well, I could almost draw that stupid shape anywhere. <laughs> and so H.A. Ray said, both of these methods are just atrocious. One is too flowery. One tries to do away with the flowery and become more geometric and like stark and austere, but it's useless too. And so he did something in between where it's it's just it's just the lines. So it's not flowery artistic stuff, but it actually you can remember it and it matches up with what the figure is supposed to be, whether it's Aquarius or Virgo, you know, Aquarius does look like he's holding a water pitcher in the H.A. Ray outlines, or you say H.A. Ray. I love that. It's funny. Um, we, we find that quaint. Um, I'm just <laughs> oh, but you're right about the, uh, like, if you take the Hercules example, if you go onto Wikipedia and look yeah. up the constellation Hercules, I mean, it looks like a square with four lines sticking out of it at weird bent angles. And then when you look at the, the, your, the version in your book, it's a guy bending over with a club raised over his head. I mean, it's just so obvious. And what's weird it's is so when, I, when I Googled it um, the other day, uh, I did a Google image search because I wanted to use that picture. I used it in the intro video earlier, and I wanted a picture to show everyone the Hercules constellation as shown in your books. And there was a picture of it on the BBC website, Astronomy, uh, The Sky at Night. Oh yeah, there's a there's a, a long running TV show that used to be hosted by Patrick Moore, uh, Patrick Moore, called The Sky at Night, and it's been running since probably the 1940s, yeah, something like that. Hundreds of years. Yeah, it's a, it's an establishment <laughs> in the UK, and on their website, the Sky at Night website, they show the same picture of Hercules, and so I, I thought that's curious, and I started reading the article, and they say, oh that that club above his head, it's not a club, that's his foot. <laughs> and you've got to think is this on purpose are they trying to just steer well, us away anyone yeah. looking at that picture sees the guy leaning forward with the club over his head and they say it's a fault yeah. mm. do you not remember well, the myth of him tearing his own leg off to beat his enemies with <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's really interesting it can't be that long running of a show if they haven't had me on yet come on wow that's BBC. right <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll get on to our bbc contacts for you Dave. yeah would you please would you please <laughs> um i'm trying to get this uh information out to those who need it but it does beg the question of whether someone is obscuring this system deliberately and why after world war ii 
would someone who had to flee the Nazis with his wife on bicycles out of Paris, you know, afraid for their life, might release a book that shows this system, right? It's kind of like, hmm, is there more to this story than meets the eye? And also it's like those outlines are so helpful for understanding the connection to the stars in the myths. And, and I'll actually show some in a second. That was a great segue that you just kind of handed me to, to show people what I'm talking about and then get into the trauma part that yeah. we haven't really covered as much. But to my knowledge, so H.A. Ray's outlines, not only do they help you, if you're just reading the text of the Bible with no pictures, the actual descriptions do hint at, strongly hint at, and sometimes there's multiple references that really confirm which constellations we're talking about. But if you don't understand this outlining system, it'll be very hard to know it. But also there's a plethora of artwork around the world, both ancient and up through the Renaissance, where these uh, constellational characteristics or distinctive features are just clearly present and they match up with H.A. Ray's outline. So the stars, a very uh, ancient way to see them is an accurate title. And I find little hints, like he taught, he's talking about the Chaldean astronomers at one point in the book and saying, you know, very ancient. And, you know, this, the parent might be drawing in the sand and showing this outline. And he shows the parent drawing like his outline in the sand. You know, he, he never, to my knowledge, ever came out and said, by the way, not only is this system more helpful than that stupid other system or the modern atrocious system, but also this system helps you understand that the Bible is based on the stars and so are all the ancient myths. To my knowledge, he never, ever said that. Did he know it? I have no way of knowing. Mm. You know, he's long since passed away, but um, passed on to the next adventure. But it's really something to ponder and think about. Well, that's that's one thing that's really striking with your books is that you mentioned the Renaissance art. It appears to me that the H.A. Ray drawings of the constellations were known not just by the Renaissance artists, but by the Mayan, by ancient early ancient Greece, like 500 BC. This goes back thousands of years, and then it's been cut somewhere, and we've lost it, and you're trying to bring it yeah. back. Yes. In fact, it, it, there's a great observation, Phil, and it's a great description how you said, you know, the Maya artwork. I'm going to show some in a second just so people can go, what, you know, let's get out of the clouds and show me what you're talking about. But um, it goes back even farther than 500 BC because ancient Egyptian uh, papyrus scrolls of, from the Book of the Dead from 1800 BC show it, but there's even a cylinder seal right there in the British Museum attributed to King Den, D-E-N. Most people don't know that there was a pharaoh named Den, which is similar to Dan. And, you know, it's it's a really interesting kind of linguistic question. But um, first century BC, this pharaoh is thought to have died around 2970 BC, something like that. So let's just round it to 3000 BC. We've got a cylinder seal that you can go see. And after I show you this, I'm not going to show you that cylinder seal, but after I show this, if you go look at that cylinder seal, you'll say, oh, wait a minute, H.A. Ray, um, you know, 3000 BC, Egypt. So this is 
extremely ancient and it's present. This is a first Egyptian dynasty yeah. king. Before the first great dynasty. Pyramids. First dynasty. Yeah. Supposedly. You know, Ben of Uncharted X, who I was, you know, mentioning before, has some amazing work that shows that maybe the dynastic Egyptians were aware of and consciously imitating and copying something that was from way before, way earlier. And 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 the fact that the earliest Egyptian dynasties and the earliest artwork and myths from other cultures like Mesopotamia, ancient India, ancient China already have this system really speaks to the possibility of an, a more ancient. So this may go way back even further than 3000 BC because it's like it's already fully developed and already fully, you know, we've already got artists who are using this system in this seal of King Den, the first pharaoh of the first dynasty or whatever. Well, on that note, maybe we should uh, have a look at some examples, Dave. Let me do that, and I will try and work it over to the trauma question that you're... Yeah. Because um, that's really important. It's not just an intellectual exercise. This is for our benefit, and it is really profound, and I'm still discovering and, and learning more about it. Um, but let's just... Uh, so people can understand what on earth is uh what on earth is the stars are all based on the myths mean let me go here can you see it yeah all right three okay. lads in lancashire <laughs> here we are on the 22nd of january happy lunar new year and here's some stars with some ha ray outlines using the free online planetarium stellarium which anyone can download and you can select, you know, how are the constellations going to be outlined for you? And I've selected up some HA ranges to help people. And but I'm going to show what you're talking about when you said, you know, <laughs> the BBC was uh, showing Hercules, but saying it's just a foot. No, Wait. it's a weapon. Um, this is a. I, I, I'm just doing a shortened version because, as you said, I've been on a couple of times before. But for those who haven't seen, um, and I, I use this example quite a lot because it's quite visual. This is from a, a vase that you can see. I think it's in um, Berlin or it's not Berlin. It's somewhere in uh, Hamburg, in Germany. Hamburg? I forget which. It's the Antiques Museum in, in uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's in Germany somewhere. It's a vase that shows Zeus. You can tell it's Zeus. It says Zeus above his <laughs> outstretched arm by the ancient, uh, ancient, either the ancient artist or one of the ancient artist friends who knows how to write is what I always say. I don't know if the artist wrote that or if uh, some scribe came in to helpfully tell us that it's Zeus, but we know it's Zeus because it's a thunderbolt over Zeus's head. He's in this deep lunge posture. He's got this heel raised He's got his knee almost touching the ground and he's got an outstretched arm and he's got uh, a beard, of course, and he's fighting Typhon, but we're not going to get into all that. This is just a quick intro for people. When I say the stars, the myths are based on the stars, the characters in the myths line up with specific constellations and those constellations have in this ancient system um, connotations or personalities like the constellation that Zeus lines up with often is the powerful uh, god 
or figure. It's not always a god. It could be a hero like Hercules himself, because Zeus is the father of Hercules, and Zeus is associated with the constellation Hercules. That figure looks like a powerful, you know, lunging, mm-hmm. weapon-wielding figure with a square-shaped head. That's one of the characteristics of the constellations. So Zeus figures will often have a full beard. Think of Zeus. Think of Hercules. He's got a square beard. Not only does Hercules have a big square, bushy, you know, full-on beard, not a goatee or something. Uh, he's got a full-on beard, but he also puts a lion skin, you know, hood head over, you know, his head mm-hmm. to make it even more square to just make sure everybody knows, yes, I'm associated with that constellation. I'm going to be depicted in that lunge. Hercules will almost always be depicted in that same posture. Look at the outstretched arm. The weapon overhead, it could be a club, could be envisioned as a club. I guess it could be envisioned as a weird foot, but that would be weird. (laughs) (laughs) BBC. It could be a club. It could be a sword. could be a thunderbolt. could be a hammer. We've got a figure. So I was talking about the personalities. Zeus has a short temper and, you know, a powerful thunderbolt, and he's not afraid to use it. But he's also jolly. He, He likes to party, actually. His, you know, Jove... Jovial, yeah. Jupiter. Yeah, they say by Jove. Jove is ju- jovial. He, you know, jolly, jolly Jove. He he <laughs> likes to, you know, he likes to have a good time, but don't get him pissed off, you, you know. And Thor is the same way. Thor is a Hercules figure. He's associated with Hercules. He wields instead of a sword, a, a hammer. I could show a close up and show you the stars of how we could connect this. Instead of a sword, you could see the hammer in there um, or an axe. Yep. There's a god named. Shango of Africa, who uh, is a thunder god, also has a big beard, wields an axe instead of a hammer like Thor. They all are thunder gods, or they're often thunder, sky, lightning, wind, rain gods. So can can we see, can, you know, I'm just, I'm taking probably too long. Can you see the correspondence yeah. to the outline? And the other right. thing, I don't know if you've mentioned it just then, is, is the raised heel on the rear foot is a common yes. recurrence. Yes, in, and look in the at artwork it. They're depictions. in the sky. Yeah, it's in the sky. It's not like this is the outline of H.A. Ray. He never said, oh, and by the way, have a look at Zeus sometime. But that, and Zeus is the father of Hercules, but there's um, there's others around the world. Here's in the Maya cup uh, from the 7th and 8th century CE or AD. So we're talking 600s to 700s before Columbus. This is a Maya rain god whose name is Chalk. He's actually mentioned in the Wakanda Forever, the most recent the Wakanda Forever. Chalk is the one who um, gives the, uh, you know, the the blue kind of bad guys. They're, they're not really bad guys, but they're you know, trying oh, to defend spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> what? You guys haven't seen it already? Like, come on. Anyway, Chalk, Chalk is uh, mentioned in there, but this is Chalk. Do you see a raised heel? Do you see a deep lunge position? Do you yeah. see an outstretched arm? Do you see over his back, he's actually wielding, in this case, an axe. The mm. head of the axe goes downward towards his foot. But if I were to do a zoom in, you could see it. I'm just showing this is around the world. Does he have a big square beard? No, he doesn't. But does he have kind of a strange hairdo that makes a almost a square shape square to his head? head? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's more. There's There's way more. I could... I could, um, you know, spend the whole time talking about this, but that's not the intent. I'm just trying to show, and I'm glad you brought up Hercules. So there's Chalk. 
He is a rain god, so that's significant. Here we have across the oceans, separated by vast distances, a similar god with a similar weapon depicted in similar ways, but also associated with similar things, storms, rain, thunder, etc. Mm. And then here's Indra from ancient India. This is actually from um, the, uh, you know, where is that in Cambodia? Uh, uh, you know, that place that's uh, amazing. Yeah, Angkor Wat. I think this is from Angkor Wat, but it shows a specific mythical scene called the churning of the ocean of milk. And up above oh, the, the ocean of milk. Figure, yeah. Do we know what the ocean, ocean of milk is? <laughs> the Milky Way, man. Oh yeah. Which is going yeah, yeah, yeah. right up where this sorry, am I am I blowing the Am I spoiler no, 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 am no, no, I spoiler alerting? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're di- you're discovering things I haven't discovered yet. They're just doing great, Phil. Mm-mm. Has he got four arms? No, it's great. Well, that's that's actually Vishnu in the center, above Vishnu. Uh... No, I wasn't going to mention the Milky Way, but that's great. I mean, it is. They're churning the ocean of milk, and it is right next to the Milky Way that this is going on. And you're absolutely right, Phil. It's not a, a spoiler or a, a, a distraction at all. But actually, above Vishnu, who's acting as kind of the pivot of this celestial tug of war, above him is actually a rain god whose name is Indra. So that little tiny figure above is actually pouring down rain on Vishnu to kind of lubricate the pivot so Vishnu doesn't overheat as they're going back and forth in this tug of war Hmm. and churning the ocean of milk. And down below, you can see the great turtle, uh, uh, the great turtle. You can see the rain kind of falling down on him or the Milky Way falling down on him. Um, But that's Indra. I'm going to blow it up so you can see He's in that same posture. Ah, see, that is see his that? foot, isn't it? Well, so, so well, that's the foot that's way back, trailing. See how Hercules? Yeah, you're right, though. Indra is not wielding a weapon overhead. He's holding some kind of a rain stick that's co- or a rain bar that's causing rain to come down. But I'm 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 specifically looking at the posture of the legs, hmm. and you see how Hercules, the constellation. There's a foot that's way back with a heel raised in the outline. Yeah. Yeah. And also Indra doesn't have a big square beard, but he's got a funny shaped hat that kind of is square, but then it also has a cone on it. You see that? Yeah. But also, you know, there's this long sash. You see that sash sticking up off of his butt, basically? All right, yeah. Yeah, there, that's actually present in chalk as well, all the way over in the Americas, in Central America. You see that long, he's got actually got a long tail. It's um, um, Hercules, the the hero Hercules will often have like a lion's tail sticking out. That's mm-hmm. actually indicating that's present in almost all ancient depictions of this of gods or heroes who are associated with Hercules. That's actually the star Vega, which is above. Hercules waist or above his butt. If you look up, you know, see that arrow I've drawn, that double-headed arrow that points from Indra to Hercules? Yeah. Just below the the head of that arrow is a bright star that's Vega. That's what that sash is connected to. It's like there's a I didn't get into it here. This is just to show you or to show your viewers what I'm talking about when I say around the world. They all have the similar characteristics. These are all rain gods. You know, this is these are all associated with the same constellation has the same characteristics around the world and here, oh, here's a um, 
here's our Maya text from a codex called the Dresden Codex. It ended up in Dresden. But that middle figure, this is from around 1000 uh, AD or CE. That middle figure right there in this codex, I'm going to make it bigger. Mm. Like, if that doesn't correspond to what we were just seeing with Zeus, of course, he's looking the opposite direction, but artistic license, it's like, what is going on here? There's something he got um, a square shaped head, square shaped head with a, like a headdress. There was something I noticed when I was reading your um, chapter on Hercules in Myth and Trauma. And mm. this isn't the best Greek example for me to make this point, but in the book, you have several um, yeah. Greek examples from the sixth century BC. And all of the other examples, bar this one, they show Hercules with his uh, lion skin on. Yeah. And the rear, paw, rear paws of the lion skin are very prominent in the other examples. And mm. then when I got to this picture from the Dresden Codex, I noticed the two mm. lion paws around his yeah. waist. What a great observation. See, this is why I come on podcast. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't notice that. That is really, really intriguing. If you look at them, the examples yeah. in, in your book that pre- that precede the Dresden Codex, and then look at those two, they look like waistbands or whatever yes. on, on the Dresden Codex. It's, it seems to me like they're, they're drawing the same thing. Yeah, that's a great observation. I can't see who's talking. Is that Ben or is that Phil? That, Phil? that was Phil. Yeah, great observation, Phil. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually point them out in this because I never thought of that. That's fantastic uh, point. Now, this is not... so. To the right, that's not Hercules, that's Zeus. So, you know, the same constellation can play Zeus mm. and can play Hercules, the son of Zeus. So Zeus, it doesn't... Oh, right, and, that's you know, why there's no lion skin. Yeah, there's Zeus. no lion skin. Yeah. But instead, he's got like a shawl, and there's like two little tails to indicate where Vega is. And, and Vega's in Lyra, the lyre, which has two little um, strings on it, the way H.A. Ray actually outlines it. So... I didn't intend to get into Lyra too much, but that's a great point about the, 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 um, it's almost like a puma or a jaguar skin that this uh, god from the Maya Codex is wearing. Mm. Now, on the Maya Codex, what's really intriguing to me, you know, Zeus, thunder god, I don't know who this is in the Maya Codex. I'd have to, you know, probably go to Dresden and meet with an Aztec or, not, or a Maya scholar who can uh, read those words and tell me you know is this chalk is this somebody else but he's clearly got a thunderbolt like look at this look at this thunderbolt (laughs) (laughs) i mean does that not look like Mm. the same thunderbolt zeus is wielding like how is this possible unless there's some kind of connection around the world this is a system it is a worldwide system It is very ancient and it's a profound system it has to do with more than quote-unquote just planting crops. I'm not saying planting crops isn't important. Obviously, you know, we all want to eat and uh, that's important, but we don't need this level of elaborate um, celestial artistic effort in order to know, Hey man, it's cold in the winter. Don't plant your, (laughs) don't plant your sweet potatoes. Like, come on to, 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 to say that is demeaning or is, is, is insulting. Uh, this is something far more profound that was going on in around the world in our ancient history. And like, why doesn't, 
conventional academia want to even look at this. I don't know, but that is clearly, and there's one other thing about this guy, you know, that I didn't notice that about the pause. That's fantastic, Phil. I will now credit you anytime I say it or write about it. <laughs> but on that, on that uh, God's shoulder from the Maya Codex is, I've just kind of made it blue. Can you see that that's an eagle or a condor or a you know, big bird of prey mm. sitting on his shoulder? Yeah. And Zeus, Zeus is associated with the eagle. Yes. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a powerful eagle in Indian, uh, of ancient India, Garuda, who's actually associated more with Vishnu than with Indra, but still, because there's a constellation called the eagle right next to Hercules in this part of the sky. So it's just, you know, here's an association with an eagle. There's Zeus. There's a god who looks exactly posture-wise like Zeus. His thunderbolt is practically the same as Zeus. He's got an eagle just like Zeus. I mean, you can look up Zeus and eagle and find some myths about it. This is a worldwide system. So that's what I was trying to show. And if you want, we can just roll right into, you know, what do I think it means? Um, oh, there is one other thing I'll, I'll show here. I, I mentioned this in that uh, conference that I was doing with Ben from Uncharted X and George Howard of the Younger Dryas um, Comet Impact Theory and the Comet Research Project, talking about a conflagration, an ancient catastrophe that happened on planet Earth, possibly an impact from a comet, maybe that the comet broke into fragments and it was almost like a shotgun blast, not just a single bullet that hit the, uh, the uh, North America, but like a, a, a shotgun pattern as the comet broke apart into huge fragments that killed off things like, uh, you know, saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths and, yeah. and uh, other megafauna, and also may have caused a tremendous catastrophe around 13,000 years ago. So this is my just very rough uh, pathway of history going back, back, back into the past. So far back, we can't even see how far back. And we know that history is, you know, not a line, it's cyclical, et cetera. But when I show these kind of ancient artwork that is based on all these things are based on the stars, I'm not going to get into all of them, but this is from the ancient times, but there was like some kind of a catastrophe, even, um, before, you know, the younger driest impact theory is, 13,000 years ago. So that's before ancient Egypt. That's before ancient Mesopotamia. That's before ancient India. And it separated them from whatever was before. Like all these connections around the world, it's very likely that there was something, some common ancestor to all of them that was maybe a unified system, but that was destroyed or that had to go underground. And so I kind of make a distinction between, or lately I've started thinking about, it's like the ancient world was inheriting something from an even more ancient world. We could call it the deep ancient time. Before this catastrophe, whatever it was, maybe this younger driest impact that Randall Carlson and George Howard and Ben from Uncharted X and Graham Hancock and others are um, doing so much research and finding so much geological evidence, archaeological evidence. Well, I'm also finding mythological evidence. The fact that the myths around the world, even the most ancient cultures we know of, 
are already using this system is indication that it comes from something more ancient. Because it's like it springs up like fully developed in the Gilgamesh epic from like very ancient 2300 BC or the pyramid text 2400 BC or the seal of King Den 2900 BC. And it's already fully developed. It's in the Vedas. It's in the uh, imagery from ancient China. So mm. it's like all these cultures already have it. It's not like they all had to like evolve it or develop it. And they already have it in different permutations. Like it's already evolved. Or maybe it had to go underground for thousands of years after that catastrophe. And then humanity could come out again. It was safe to come out. Maybe there was um, Robert Schock. Dr. Robert Schock has talked about a solar ejection, which could have also, you know, Randall has said, I said, what about the solar ejection theory? Is that kind of, are those two different theories? No, a comet could have triggered a solar ejection, or they could have happened at the same time that could have irradiated the earth where it was like radioactive and people had to live underground for maybe generations. And then it came back out and these civilizations all pop up and they're all using the system and they're all, you know, doing, but then there's, yet another catastrophe that separates us from the ancient times where now it's like the ancient wisdom has been suppressed, forgotten, and even hunted down and destroyed. When you talk about the Maya, I showed you a codex. Well, there's only like 12 left in the world because, you know, the literalist Christianity project of imperialistic, you know, Spain and, you know, Europeans basically went around stamping this out and saying, hey, you've got to get on board with our literalist Christian project. It's like there's a second catastrophe going on. Yeah, um, if anyone so wants been... more on that, they should check out John Hemming's book, uh, Conquest of the Incas. I just had a look around mm. to sign it if you mm. want to learn about that, what was happening yeah. there. Oh, it's pretty yeah. grim. Mm. Yeah, so there, there's kind of a, like a timeline, and it's like a segue to... See, I believe that this ancient system is about uplifting individuals, but also societies. Like there is a pattern that is put forth and that around the world, cultures seem to have been following. Jean-Michel there in England, uh, he's passed away now, but he wrote a book called uh, The New Atlantis. And he was looking at ley lines and... Um, he wrote a book about, it's called um, 12 Tribe Nations, where he shows that around the world there's this pattern of dividing things into 12 or into four quadrants with a fifth in the center or 12, those four quadrants could each be subdivided into thirds, so you have 12 with a 13th in the center. And he shows that Wales is divided that way. There's four quadrants with a kind of a sacred mountain in the center that has a name that actually means five. And Ireland is divided that way. Four quadrants that could each be subdivided into three. So you got 12, like the Zodiac, 12 with a 13th in the center, a sacred 13th. The Old Testament talks about the 12 tribes of Israel, but there's a 13th in the center where that's the sacred place where the covenant, Ark of the Covenant is going to be kept. So this pattern, but then he shows it in Iceland. Then he shows it in Madagascar. Then he shows it in the Inca. Then he shows it in, he's showing it around the world. It's like there's a, a pattern for society that comes down from heaven that helps 
societies reach their full potential. He's talking about like, look at all the things they accomplished. But then when this pattern gets stamped out, <laughs> like architecture just turns to, you know, oppressive slug slabs of garbage. So it's like there was this ancient pattern that was both for the society and for the individual. And the individual part is where it comes into the healing trauma that you you talked about. So I can get into it. I can pause for, I've said a whole bunch if you guys want to riff off that or i was gonna say um you referenced gabor mate early on in the book oh, yeah. and uh he's becoming more and more prov- uh, prevalent it seems he was on um jre wasn't he about a couple of months ago he's been on a, a yeah. few times hasn't he i think he's been on a few times but mm-hmm. I've, I've not read any of his stuff and i'm sort of i, I don't want to say skeptical but i do you hear so many sort of uh, different views about where, where our problems come from and you know, whether it's uh, childhood trauma or uh, what they say, nature versus nurture, whether some people mm. are born with more of a propensity to have certain conditions, if you like. I don't know, but he's, he's obviously had a, a big influence on your research, Gabo Marte. Yes, and so I'm glad you brought that up. And it's almost like we um, practiced this in advance, but we didn't um, because <laughs> the very next, very next slide is a quotation, and I'll show it in a second. But so... I am very positive on his work. Um, you know, I think it's good to be skeptical of everybody, including me. Everyone should, you know, see, see, look for the evidence and see if it seems to match with the reality that you're seeing. But the dis- the description that he's giving of what goes on inside of us um, to separate us from who we are, to separate us from ourself, that leads to addictions and anxieties and self-destructive behavior uh, appears very accurate to me of what you know when i look at my own um kind of experience and and you know i could talk about some of that and, and behaviors like i would i was very um i went to the military academy and i was on the parachute team the sky and i was skydiving i was flinging myself out of helicopters at the age of you know 18 um through 21 i was on the west point parachute team and i was getting admonished by my coaches for pulling too low uh, after a while that's that's um a bit extreme like i'm a kind of an intense person <laughs> like <laughs> um you know pulling the ripcord too low is not but, but it's thrilling but it's not necessarily a smart thing to be doing too much of you know and um when the movie Point Break came out. It came out after I was doing this. <laughs> it came out when I, I I graduated West Point in 1991. That summer, Point Break came out. That's the first one with Bodie, played by Patrick Swayze, and uh, um, Keanu Reeves playing the FBI agent. Oh, I am an FBI agent. You got to go down. Um, the uh, That movie... Bodhi, you know, says to um, Keanu Reeves right now, I'm blanking. I've watched the movie like 10 zillion times, but um, it's uh, (laughs) Agent Utah, Johnny Utah, (laughs) to Utah, right? Um, He says, surfing's that place where you lose yourself and you find yourself. And you don't know it now, but you got it. And it's right there. And he points like right between his eyes. He says, you don't know it, but you've got it. You've already got yourself. You've already got but um, 
he realizes that Johnny Utah is trying to find himself, right? And there's another part of that movie that I really like where the love interest, Lori Petty, the, you know, she kind of saves Johnny in a lot of ways. She saves his life when he's like floundering around surfing and doesn't know what he's doing and about to, you know, drown. She pulls him up out of the water and then she teaches him to surf and then she becomes his partner. And she, there's this party where the, it's like the, um, you know, the Bodie and his friends are talking about, oh yeah, big wave surfing. It's the ultimate. And she goes, I hope you're not buying in all this bonsai bullshit, Johnny. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And she, and she goes, oh, you've got that kamikaze look and Bodie can smell it a mile away. Like you're searching for something, Johnny. That's what she says. You're searching for something. So first of all, that movie like resonated me with me so strongly when I was 21, you know, 91, I was 21, 22. And uh, I'd already been, I'd already done a lot of skydiving, already done a lot of surfing. I was like, yes, that's exactly, I didn't realize actually like a lot of my behaviors or what she's saying is you're searching for something and you're, you're searching for something and you're searching for it in more and more kind of intense and sometimes even potentially self-destructive ways. And that's a sign of something you're looking for yourself. What did Bodhi say to him? Surfing is the place where you lose yourself and you find yourself. Like you lose the parts of you that are, the parts of you that are, that you're, uh, that are suppressing yourself can take a break and sit down and relax. And that part of you that they've been suppressing can come up and just kind of play. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking off the top of my head, not things that I really had prepared to say, but um, so it does uh, resonate like with me when Gabor Mate, for those who haven't checked out his stuff and you can watch wonderful interviews with him on all different podcasts. And I've got a quote actually from a podcast um, that I got on the very next slide um, explains. So he, he's, a doctor who worked, I mean, he's got a legit background of working for over a decade with thousands of addicted, highly addicted people in East Vancouver, which is like one of the highest concentrations of addicted men and women who are in real dire straits. A lot of them addicted to heroin and, are, you know, eventually died of overdoses or, you know, while he was trying to help them. And he started to realize the more he talked to them, all of them had some kind of trauma and he realized it's not the addiction, but it's what are you trying to um, fix? What do you, uh, it, it, it's, it's the pain. He says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. What is the pain that this addiction is being used to try and suppress? And he realized that uh, trauma is a separation from yourself as a defense mechanism. I've got a quote that explains it. And the myths are all about um showing higher self or separation from self or even the wounding and burying of yourself and then the re return of the self. And that's what the, uh, when I started to listen to people like Gabor Mate and he references Dr. Richard Schwartz, who's another psychologist who's dealt with literally tens of thousands of patients. Gabor Mate is not necessarily a psychologist by training. He's a, he's a doctor who's healing addicted. He's a family practitioner. Dr. Richard Schwartz is a psychologist who deal with tens of thousands of people, sometimes uh, girls who are cutting themselves or doing anorexic or bulimic uh, type kinds of patterns of self-harm. 
and discovering things about the inner landscape. And when they're talking about it, I am realizing that is what the myths are talking about. And I'd already been groping towards that. I could see it in my writings before I ever encountered Gabor Mate's work or Richard Schwartz. I'm perceiving that the myths are talking about self and higher self, but their kind of cutting edge research and discoveries that by no means are mainstream accepted yet. These, these are um, healers who are, I would say on the cutting edge of therapy, um, their work really helped me understand. So I'll show you an example. Yeah. If you want, cool. if you want to respond to that or riff off of that. Uh, just before you show us the example, uh, cause you mentioned you're an ex military man and an ex parachutist. Um, I can recommend a podcast to you. It's called oh. the army's inquisition episode 144, where we talked to, we talked to this guy called Ian Lyons and he was a, um, parachute instructor in the army. And he used to go around the world doing exhibition jumps with the army to like military games and stuff. Uh, until yeah. until one day his chute gave way a hundred feet up at a Ooh. at an event at a, a parachute tournament, and he hit the deck, had an amazing near death experience, mm. and he now does like ultra marathon running cycling. Yeah, yeah. So wow. you might you might find it interesting being a, a similar you know a military guy, adrenaline adrenaline junkie, and a parachutist. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that is really interesting. It sounds like what he was doing was the, the equivalent in, in your army of what we have a team called the Golden Knights. And my yeah. instructors at West Point were actually the Golden Knights. And uh, I've jumped out of the Golden Knights. They have a Fokker aircraft. It's a, like a <laughs> rocket ship. <laughs> it's a rocket. Like when you jump out, like the the blast of the how fast you're going rips your face off. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well. But uh, yeah, that, I'd, I'd really be interested in listening to that. Thanks for the heads up. So no worries. Um, let's go. On. Let's have yeah. an example. Let me let me let me, uh, let me show an example. And you know, we need to. If you if, if you want to say Dave, speed it up. Like we're we're done here. No, <laughs> we're, we're going we're too good. long. Just let me know. Okay, great. So let's get to uh, here's where we left off. I gotta get that push play here. All right. So the very next slide. Uh, sorry, <laughs> you gotta see this again. Everybody, is it pressure. That's the yeah, man with the, the man bag. That yeah, that's the man bag. That's right. And I, uh, I, I talk about how that celestial in, uh, in that video, that this came from. I've got a whole video that this came from that uh, I can send you guys the link. It was a, it was this presentation that I did as part of an uh, event that Randall and Ben and George Howard were part of. Cool. Um, so I'm trying to tie it into what they're doing here because it really is all. This is evidence from the myths that argues for some deep catastrophe. And you could almost say a deep trauma in humanity's ancient history. And it's so so traumatic that apparently nobody wants to think about it. Like if you talk about this with academia, I don't know why they have such a problem with the, the younger Dryas impact theory or the comet. Uh, it's, it's shifting. It's, it's slowly turning. People are yeah, coming on board, yeah. aren't they? Gradually. Yeah. But, you know, it's like uh, Graham Hancock always says humanity is a species with amnesia. And, mm. and we could almost uh, perhaps add humanity is a species with trauma-induced amnesia. amnesia. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's the trauma, you know, some, some event, I've just represented it with some fire. But yes, as you perceptively, your, your higher self looking into the future could see that my next slide would have this quotation from Dr. Gabor Mate on 
childhood trauma. This is the title of the podcast. So if anyone wants to look up Martin Caparota, uh, I think that's how he says it. I'm not positive. He's speaking on childhood trauma. And this was in, ironically enough, 23 November 2019. So we're about, nobody sees it coming, but everyone's about to have a, yet more trauma yeah. in 2020. But uh, this quote, I put it in that book, actually. I think it's on page, I don't know, 196 or 216. I, I just uh, pulled this out because it really, to me, gives it a great summary that we can talk about. If our environment, he's talking about how, how do we separate from ourselves? Because listeners may be saying, I'm not separated from myself. What, what is this new age BS higher self? You know, <laughs> even that in itself is a that's a that's a defense mechanism, right? That's yeah. If we really did separate from ourselves and there's you know parts of our personality that's, for 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 reasons to try and hold the whole uh, project together, like this project is endangered. So I've got to suppress myself. And he's gonna explain why. If that really does happen, then the the guardians that come in to try and hold the project together might be like they're sitting on top of the you know the cellar where they've locked the higher self, you know, smoking a pipe and drinking a beer, and and the police walk in and say, "I think you're suppressing your higher self," and they're like, "What higher self? <laughs> you know, there's no higher self. That's a bunch of new age BS." What? Meanwhile, the higher self is down underneath the board floorboards going. Let me out. Okay. If our environment cannot support our gut feelings and our emotions, then the child, in order to quote belong and to fit in, this is Gabor Mate speaking in this podcast, will automatically, unwittingly, and unconsciously suppress their emotions and their connections to themselves. Like the gut feelings, the emotions are not being honored or are even putting you in danger somehow, you know, because of childhood attachment needs, we're wired to attach to our parents. But if the environment can't support those gut feelings, then we're going to suppress those gut feelings in order to survive because we've got to stay connected. He says in the next phrase for the sake of staying connected to the nurturing environment. The, the nurturing environment is so important to a child that we are wired to suppress. Look, connection to yourself is important, but not as important as staying alive. Yeah. So you will you will sacrifice the one to keep the other, or you were programmed to sacrifice the one to keep the other because otherwise we won't survive. So therefore, you will, and you'll do it, what does he say? Automatically, unwittingly, and unconsciously for the sake of staying connected, so you won't even know that you did it, without which the child cannot survive. And just in the interest of time, he continues in the same podcast, automatically we disconnect from ourselves in order to continue to be looked after. It's a tragic choice. And then he says, well, <laughs> not even a choice. You don't know you made it. The child's not aware of making a choice. You got a choice between stay connected to the nurturing environment or stay connected to yourself, and you don't even get to choose your body or your brain or however we are put together is wired to suppress the self in that situation. You're not even aware of making the choice. I mean, that is so, um, you know, it's tragic, like he says. 
it's an automatic process. Then we get to adulthood and all of a sudden we say, I don't know who I am, especially people in midlife. They realize they've been living lives. They were not their own lives that were not their own lives at all because they've suppressed themselves. They did it all because they got disconnected. Does this sound like something that is important to the world today? Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's, so now we get to why the myths, why do we need like, why do we need to put it into all these bizarre stories? Why do we need these elaborate fictions, if we want to say that? They're, they're true fictions. <laughs> they're true lies. They're true. They're, they're portraying profound truths, but why do they do it that way? It's, it, it, the answer is in this quotation, because we don't know what happened. So if I walk up to you and say this happened, we actually don't know that it happened, and we've got defense mechanisms that are going to keep us from accepting that. And so the myths are this incredible, I've come to believe, the myths are this incredible, profound technology, if you will, or gift from that deep ancient time, knowing that this is going to, that we're wired this way to, to, to dramatize it to us in powerful emotion inducing ways to where we can wake up and go aha and i've used maybe i've used it on your show before the the mr miyagi metaphor like <laughs> you know daniel son he needed help and mr miyagi didn't use wax on wax off in order to trick daniel son but he did it because daniel son was so traumatized and and so low self-esteem and so doubting that if mr miyagi just said well in order to stop the kick, all you really have to do is this. Danielson would have been like, oh, bullshit. Oh, you know, his doubting self, his defense mechanisms, which are there for very good reasons, would have been like, they would have choked on it. So Mr. Miyagi had to go a roundabout way, an esoteric or a metaphorical way. He had to teach him wax on, wax off. And then he had to say, and he didn't ever really say it, he just showed it. And he made him realize, aha, this wax on is not really about wax on, is it? It's about stopping johnny's kick or johnny's punch and you wouldn't have believed it if i told it to you any other way and that's what the myths are doing you've been separated from yourself and if i just walk up and start telling you you're going to be just like get out of here old man or you know what the hell are you talking about so i got to use wax on wax off to get around that and make a deep emotional connection and it's one of the most powerful scenes in all of film when Daniel sound suddenly realizes what it's really all about like dawns on him at the beginning of the scene he's all skeptical and he's like ready to quit he's like hey old man i'm tired of being your servant waxing all your cars and by the end of the scene, the fence. Like, yeah but then it dawns on him and like you, you see like you're watching it and it's like tears come to your eyes because he's like blocking kicks and he's like oh my goodness, I've got something inside me that I didn't know I had. That's what the myths are doing. Nice. That's what the myths are doing. So that's why on the cover of Myth and Trauma, we've got a picture of, it's actually a beautiful Renaissance statue of Medusa, but here's an ancient days from like uh, 500 something BC or BCE. Hmm. And it's a Gorgon with uh, snaky hair. She's sticking her tongue out. That's a characteristic. But can legs. we see a constellation here? Any yeah, any similarities to what we keep seeing? The legs we're talking about. Yeah, those yeah, sexy legs. The raised heels. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, she has that, the, the lion's paws coming down, hanging down there at the bottom as well. There you go. Somebody's keyed into that. Like 
you're absolutely on it. You're totally on it. And there's the raised heel. And also, um, it's got Rolex. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's weird, isn't it? It's like that Bigfoot video. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons. <laughs> and there's some other Gorgons. They have snaky hair. So it's not always a male figure, even though the square shaped head, it's almost like some Gorgons almost look like they have a beard of snakes, actually. Here's actually even an ancient tombstone. Mm. There's even writing down at the bottom of uh, like Greek characters. This is an ancient tombstone with a Gorgon on it, a Medusa, uh, Medusa's sisters were the Gorgons. Like, how would you like to have that on your tombstone, a, a Gorgon? Like, it, it means something. This isn't just about like growing crops, right? This is this is about the soul's journey. This is about um, who we are somehow. And uh, I just, I, I want to talk just briefly about the Medusa story. So um, I'm, I'm not going to go really long into this, but here's the constellations in the sky and there's the Milky Way. And hopefully everyone can, after looking at it a little bit, pick out where Hercules is. Yeah, there he is at the top, just right of center. Yeah, just with his foot yeah. above his head. <laughs> all fuchsias all fuchsias thank all you fuchsias, yeah thank you for the the, the bbc commentary yeah, yeah the, right below hercules is uh Ophucus, is that oblong looks like a uh obelisk mm. underneath the foot the the, the forward foot of hercules yeah mm-hmm. the, the triangle there's a like a tall rectangle with a triangle that is Ophucus. good catch i'm not going to talk too much about Ophucus and um at least unless you want to but Ophucus is a super important figure and actually is our our higher self character in a lot of myths. Um, but I'm actually talking about Medusa as an aspect of trauma and exile. You guys know the story of Medusa? Well, wasn't she a beautiful, um, she was a daughter of a god, like a, a, a no, what's the word? Um, not Titan. a true god. Um, Titan. Titan, yeah. And wasn't, wasn't she cursed? Is that why she went all ugly and Yeah, sneaky? she was incredibly beautiful. Mm young maiden and uh, something happened to her and she was transformed into uh, one of the gorgons with snaky hair and the power to turn men to stone anyone who looks at her turns to stone or anyone she looks at turns to stone and uh, not only that but then she's exiled to a lonely island in the middle of you know the ocean and anyone who comes onto the ocean basically gets turned to stone so it's like she's alone She's exiled, she's transformed, and she's toxic. She's dangerous. She's she's deadly. Okay, these are, um, you know, and this myth is in some ways bizarre and 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 scary and um, disturbing and like confusing. Like, what's it trying to tell us? Well, I believe it's talking about our inner landscape. And so um, I, I started with Hercules just because I have already shown Hercules and viewers should be familiar with Hercules. And also to point out that Hercules, although plays a male figure when it's Zeus or Hercules or Indra or Chalk, also plays female figures, the Gorgons, other figures. Um, all the constellations can play. They're like actors in the heavens and there's only so many of them. So they play all different roles and sometimes they're male figures, sometimes they're female figures. But if we continue up the Milky Way, We'll get to, all the way up the Milky Way, we'll get to an important figure named Perseus. And he's actually in the myths of Medusa, the one who goes and is given the mission to bring back the head of Medusa. And it's a, it's an interesting 
way in which he's actually tricked into, he's actually goaded into the mission, he's manipulated into taking this mission. So Perseus, he's actually put into a, a box as a child and set adrift with his mother in the ocean, which is a pattern that we find around the world of babies being put into boxes and put into the water, like Moses, like uh, Sargon. There's, there's This myth is around the world, but Perseus, he's put into a box. He, he grow, he's rescued, you know, finally drifts up to an island of Delos. I think it's called Delos. Fished out of the water by a fisherman, poor, kind fisherman, raises Perseus and his beautiful uh, mother, you know, shelters them, takes care of them, raises Perseus, teaches him to fish, etc. Perseus grows into this strong hero. He's actually the son of Zeus. Um, you know, there's all kinds of esoteric lessons in all parts of this story that I could spend lots of time on, but I'm skipping over. But Perseus, by the time he reaches kind of young manhood and he's starting to, you know, come into his own strength and he's realizing, you know, I'm pretty badass. Like I can out-wrestle everybody on the island. And But the king of, you know, that island and maybe some other territories is this arrogant and evil king and uh, notices, hey, there's this, you know, un... <laughs> unmarried lonely woman living with this old fisherman and her young son and she's gorgeous and the king's like i want to marry that woman and perseus is like you stay away from my mother you know i could kick your ass and all your soldiers and the king's like that guy's trouble i need to get rid of that young uh, hero i don't know if the king knows he's the son of zeus or not but perseus is, is you know enough of a problem that the king's like i got to get rid of him how am i going to do it and he says oh for for this, uh, for this big celebration, everyone needs to give me a gift. And all the young men <laughs> of the area, you know, give horses and other kind of gifts. And Perseus is like, I don't really have any horses to give. I'm really poor. And the king's like, well, you know, you could, uh, since, you, since, you know, you're so poor and I'm, I'm, you know, it's kind of embarrassing the situation you're in. And, you know, you can see Perseus, like, he's starting to get embarrassed and he's, he's starting to get angry. And the king's like, I don't think you could do it, but I have always wanted someone to bring back the head of Medusa. And I've sent many people to try and they, they all failed. And, you know, you're not even, you're probably not even old enough to drink legally, but uh, I doubt you could do it. And Perseus is like, come on, step aside. I'll bring back the head of Medusa. And he certainly marches off. He sails off to like, I'll bring back the head of Medusa. I'll, I'll have the best gift of anybody. So it's like he played on Perseus's kind of insecurities and Perseus marches off and uh, sails off, whatever, to try and, he doesn't even know where Medusa is, but he's like, I'll go find her. And um, he's met along the way by the goddess Athena and the god Hermes. And these are the two that often help heroes. Like in the Odyssey, it's usually Athena, almost always Athena, but sometimes Hermes will help him. And they say, hey, Perseus, <laughs> you know, you son of son of Zeus and the mortal mortal mother, divine father, uh, you don't really know what you're doing, do you? And Bruce is like, yeah, I'm going to bring back the head of Medusa. And they're like, you don't really know about Medusa, do you? Uh, no, but I'm sure I can handle it. And they're like, well, you will fail. <laughs> you will die like everybody else unless you listen to us. And they give him some gifts and they enable him. They don't do it for him, but they give him some help. They give him, they say, look, she turns everyone to stone. So I'm going to give you the shield of Athena that can reflect. It's so polished. It's like a mirror. And you can look into that instead of looking directly at Medusa. And you'll be able to see what you're doing when you cut off her head. And you got to get it off in one stroke or she's going to wake up and kill you and her sisters. And uh, Hermes says, here's a special sword. It's so 
uh, sharp. It's divine, you know, made of, I think, adamantine, actually. But um, it's called a harpe sword. Yeah, you know, Marvel steals all this stuff. In fact, there's a, a video game that uses the harpe sword or harpe sword, spelled H-A-R-P-E. Look at Perseus in the heavens. He's got this hook uh, on the constellation itself, as outlined by H.A. Ray. The harpe sword, if anyone wants to look up H-A-R-P-E sword, it's a hooked sword. And Perseus is always depicted with a special hooked sword. And Hermes says, this sword can cut through the head of Medusa. So, and then they say, you know, she's off in a far exile and we're not going to tell you how to find her. You got to figure that out yourself. But if you go to, you know, they give her, they give Perseus some instructions how to find her, uh, how to get help to find her. Eventually he does. Long story short, he uses the shield to uh, be his reflection so he can not look directly at her. He cuts off her head. Do you know what happens when he cuts off her head? She, uh, oh, I can't remember. It's not, not, as well known, not as well known. Not as well known. Something comes out of her neck. Oh. Uh, yeah, something comes out of her neck. Actually, it's the um, winged horse Pegasus comes out of her head, uh, oh, out of her neck. That's yeah, a way It's off. interesting. Yeah, isn't that strange? Yeah. Now, what's going on here? Now, here next to Perseus is the beautiful constellation of Andromeda. And I've just got through showing some Gorgons who are clearly in a Hercules posture, but that's her two sisters that basically chase Perseus after he cuts off the head of Medusa. And you can see vases like in the Louvre that have those Gorgons in that Hercules posture chasing after her uh, Perseus. And I did a video a long time ago showing that when Perseus is sinking down in the west, Hercules is rising in the east. So it's like they're chasing him out of the heavens. So the two sisters chase him away. It, it, um, it's a little too much to show right now, but I'm convinced that Medusa is not over there with Hercules. Medusa is Andromeda. You see Andromeda right next to Perseus? How his, his, his outstretched arm is like right next to her leg. She looks like she's falling. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Her legs are kind of splayed up towards Perseus. She's she's the figure that's right below the word Andromeda. She has her arms out. Andromeda is actually who Perseus later rescues and marries, the beautiful Andromeda. But I'm convinced that this constellation plays both Medusa and Andromeda, the same constellation. And why can I say that Andromeda is Medusa? Well, first of all, she doesn't look like she has a head. <laughs> You see that? Mm -hmm. But second of yeah. all, can you see the horse to her right? Yeah, the horse has got right a big there. head. That's Pegasus. Yeah, the oh. horse has a big head, yeah. <laughs> That's Pegasus. That's in the sky. This is the outline of H.A. Ray. Now, Pegasus has a, a wing kind of attached to his butt there. H.A. <laughs> Ray says his wing is attached to a strange place, right? You see that on the rump of the horse? Yeah, like the right, left side right, of it. Right, his tail, yeah, his two tails. He actually has like two tails there and down below the triangle. Well, actually, that triangle, I don't like that outline, and that's not the way H.A. Ray outlines it. H.A. Ray outlines the whole square. This is called the Great Square of Pegasus. That's mm. the whole wing. Yeah. Stellarium used to have it outlined this way, and it's open source. People can go in and change it for whatever reason they change it to a triangle. But that's the whole square. That's See, that's Pegasus and the Great Square of Pegasus I've just outlined. It actually connects on one side to Pegasus and on the other side to Andromeda. Andromeda at the neck. Man, the neck. What comes out of the head, the neck of Andromeda when Perseus cuts off the head of, uh, not, uh, not Andromeda, but Medusa? Pegasus. 
Pegasus. So that's where that myth, look, Perseus with his harpe sword, also he's wearing like the wing sandals and he's got a, a, a Phrygian cap. Oh, Hermes also gives him a, a cap of invisibility in most versions of the story. Cuts off the head of Medusa, Pegasus comes out. Wow. And I'm going to argue, this is psychological, ancient psychological wisdom. Uh, uh, I talked about Gabor Mate. In Myth and Trauma, I hadn't really discovered Richard Schwartz, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who talks about not just higher self and kind of egoic self, but we have multiple personalities, not just your lower self and your higher self, but actually we have different parts, different different parts of who we are he calls them internal family systems doesn't he yeah it's like a family Mm. we've got different parts of who we are playing different roles and we have protector or manager parts that if we have deep trauma or deep something and trauma can can be a word that is maybe overused but as dr galbar mate says it may be overused kind of popularly but it's underused in medicine he says, how many, how many of you have ever gone to the doctor for psoriasis or for immune, you know, autoimmune? And how many times has your doctor ever asked you about childhood trauma or, or you know, psychological issues? Almost never, because it's like we divorce the mind from the body. But as he explains, trauma uh, manifests itself in all kinds of different ways including suppression of the immune system and for for survival reasons that he can explain so um not to you know i talk about it in myth and trauma and i've actually got a uh, i've got an online course called recovering our deeper self where i use the medusa and pegasus and uh, persecution myth a lot as as an illustration but an exile is a part that is carrying the burden in the in the internal family systems uh, paradigm that Dr. Richard Schwartz discovered through doing thousands of hours of therapy, it's not like he just dreamed this up. This is what he would talk to, you know, girls, teen girls who were cutting themselves, and they would say things like, "Well, the cutting part won't let me," or "The cutting part isn't here right now." And he'd be like, "What are you talking about? The cutting part?" And he'd say, "Can we talk to the cutting part?" And they'd say, "Sure, yeah, we can do that." Like he realized that they have these parts that are doing these um, roles are actually trying to hold the system together. Why would a part be causing a person to cut themselves to relieve the anguish of that separation that we talked about in those quotations? The separation happened without your even knowing it, without your even being able to be conscious of it, but it's painful. It's like if a child had a father that they really loved but the father every now and then is unpredictable, violent, dangerous, and harmful. Or the child even, you know, courageously stood up to the father, maybe who was gonna hurt the mother, maybe, and just got thrown across the room and hit the wall. And then suppressed that courageous part, or um was so heartbroken because they're so attached to the father, but will actually say, um, they they will actually, without even choosing to do so, feel that the problem is their own making because it's so painful to say, my father's so dangerous and I can't control him. It's actually more safe to say, 
there's something wrong with me and and I have to suppress it or I have to fix it. If I can fix it, then I can fix that situation. Um, so, um, sorry, <laughs> my mom just handed me a note <laughs> at my parent, visiting my parents over the weekend here. Um, speaking of, you know, all these dynamics, we all have these dynamics going on. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the pain of that suppression and the pain of that, you know, realization and heartbreak is so painful that the when when something triggers it, and I know that word's overused and and much, uh, you know, we could use some other word maybe, but when when I do something that threatens to bring up that pain back to my um, consciousness, there are other parts who realize how painful that is that will say, ah, I got to have a beer, (laughs) you know, I got to have 50 beers or I got to have, you know, oops, Um, I've got to, I've got to cut myself. I've got to, you know, there are certain um, like self-destructive behaviors that in the long run will be self-destructive. But right now, anything to throw some foam to throw some suds on that fire, right? Like the protective part comes in and starts spraying suppressive foam all over the place. And the manager part that was trying to hold everything together by being just like everything's perfect. Um, there's different parts that play different roles, might be horrified and say, you're going to ruin all the furniture and the, protect, the, the firefighter part that's spraying foam all over the place is like, I don't care about the furniture. We'll have to buy more furniture later. All we got to do right now is keep that fire out, but it's not really a fire. It's another part that Dr. Schwartz calls an exile that's carrying that trauma for the team. Like one part will carry that toxic burden of, let's say you were told you'll never amount to anything or you'll never like, and, and, uh, you know, like a really heavy critical criticism there's a part that will carry that pain. And then when you do something like your, I use the example of I'm emptying the dishwasher and I drop a spoon and I fly into a rage. It's like, why am I flying into a rage over a spoon? Like, I'm not going to starve to death. I got other spoons. It's not that big a deal. I just, you know, I throw it back in on the next load. What happened was that deep feeling of you'll never do anything right. Or you're such a fuck up. Let's just say that feeling arises and the anger that's coming in this kind of excessive anger anger is a firefighter coming in and saying, Hey, if I throw a big giant fit and get mad at everybody around me, I can keep that other exiled part that just tried to come back onto the scene. The exiles carrying this toxic radioactive burden of you're such a screw up and, and, and it's coming back out onto the state. And despite all your efforts to keep it, off the stage, it kind of waddles back onto the stage carrying this big backpack full of toxic radioactive material. And the firefighter goes, okay, managers, you didn't keep them off the stage. The managers are the parts that try and keep you like, well, if I get a lot of accolades, if I graduate from ranger school, and if I graduate from West Point, I get a uh, master's degree, then I'll, then I'll be able to overcome that feeling that I can't do anything right. That's one defensive mechanism but when even with all that you know the managers are like oh no we've got to we've got to be this way in order to um keep that feeling of you're such a screw up off the stage 
But when <laughs> I drop a spoon or something happens where like it brings that up anyway, despite, you know, all of a sudden I'm right back in, you're just such a screw up, then a different defense mechanism has to kick in. It could be cutting yourself. It could be um, having a drinking binge. It could be having this violent anger. That's the system of Dr. Richard Schwartz. So isn't it amazing that in the ancient myths, Medusa is turned into a toxic exile and left on a lonely island. And it's fan it's just fantastically amazing that the reason she's turned into Medusa, well, it's fantastically amazing that Perseus comes out of her neck when she's cut there and something beautiful comes out, but also it's the same constellation Andromeda that Perseus later rescues and marries and they become partners. So it's like she's transformed first Pegasus and it's the same constellation that he marries Andromeda. It's like she's restored. There's a, the myths are pointing us towards restoration, but Mm. here's the part that I left out deliberately. Why was she turned into Medusa? Um, why was this beautiful young maiden turned into this hideous, scary, toxic um, creature that turns everyone to stone, which even that has metaphorical, like turning into an object. Like I said, when I, <laughs> when I cut myself, I'm actually turning into an object. Or it's like when I, um, if you can learn how to manipulate me by pushing my buttons and, and pushing my insecurities, you can turn me into almost a puppet or a robot. If you can push those buttons of, hey, you're such a screw up, but if you do this, mm-hmm. if you can figure those out, you can manipulate me like an object. Medusa turns people into an object. She's an exile herself. That exile has all these bad um, you know, characteristics. It's toxic, it's lonely, and it um, turns you into an object. But there's restoration in this myth. It's weird, but why was she turned into, some uh, listeners may already know in some versions of the story and in the ancient myths, there's all kinds of different versions from different sources, but she was beautiful and she was in the temple of the goddess Athena and Poseidon saw how beautiful she was. Poseidon, the sea god, you know, big, full beard, probably green in color beard. You know, I always wanted to have a big green beard, long hair, you know. Um, Caesar, and she's in the temple all by herself, and he's like, beautiful, and he rapes her. And Athena is angry. And so what does she do? She turns the beautiful Medusa into this hideous, toxic monster who goes off and lives on an exiled island all by herself. And you go, wait a minute. That's horrific. That's not fair. She got raped by Poseidon. And the and Athena punishes her, like, what's going on in ancient myths? It's showing you your inner landscape. It's not your fault that something traumatic happened to you, but this is the result. You're going to have an exile who's carrying a toxic burden that has the ability to turn you to objectify, uh, <laughs> objectification, but restoration is possible. And Athena is part of the restoration. She helps Perseus. So actually, here's a picture from the 1600s, uh, 1700s, by an artist named William Hogarth. This is actually Perseus after he's cut off the head of Medusa. You can see he's holding the head of Medusa. You see him flying in to rescue Andromeda? Yeah. 
Andromeda is chained to a rock. She's the princess actually of uh, Ethiopia. She's in Ethiopia. She's uh, chained to a rock because why? Her mother bragged on how beautiful she was and said she was more beautiful than, you know, one of the divine, uh, you know, god goddesses. I forget which one it was, but anyway. Hera. Uh, I'm not positive. I, I'm not sure if it was Hera or not, but it doesn't matter. A uh, sea monster was sent to ravage the countryside, and, you know, the kingdom was, like, in terror. The sea monster was eating everybody, and the priests told the king and queen, you know, this is all your fault. you got to sacrifice your daughter, then the sea monster will go away. And they're like, no way, we won't. And the people are like, oh, yes, you will. And <laughs> whatever happens, she gets, she gets uh, chained to the rock, and the monster's on his way, and Perseus is flying along, and he's like, all right, just slew Medusa, got the head of Medusa, going to be a hero. You know, I'm, I'm winning the battle. Wait a minute. There's a beautiful maiden chained to a rock. Wow. She's really attractive. Wait a minute. Here comes a sea monster. What's going on? And he says, hey, look away. Don't look that way. And he pulls out the head of uh, Medusa in William Hogarth's painting. She's looking anyway. But um, he pulls out the head of Medusa and makes the sea monster turn to stone. And everybody's happy. And the king and queen say, who is this hero who flew in and saved our daughter? You can marry her. So interestingly enough, her name is Andromeda. She's the same constellation that he just cut off the head of. It's like this, this whole myth comes full circle. And look at Hogarth's 1700s painting. He lived from 1697 to 1764. Now, these are some different constellations, but he is painting. Look at Aquarius. Look at Perseus. You see, everyone see Perseus? There is a cloudy uh, column there that could be a Milky Way, but um, mm. Aquarius, you see how Aquarius is kind of pitched forward and is holding a pitcher that's um, streaming water out? Can you see that? Yeah. Below the word or, Aquarius? Or a head of Medusa. <laughs> Instead of a water pitcher, it could be a severed head with blood or, you know, mm. limp nice. snakes hanging down. <laughs> Now, what is Aquarius facing towards with that head? Hydra. This giant whale giant whale called Cetus. There is the, the whale, Cetus. And look at the whale in Hogarth's painting. Look at the whale in, in the sky. Look at Aquarius. Wow. Look at, now, who's chained to the rock? That would be Sagittarius. Sagittarius, <laughs> the beautiful Sagittarius, is often a beautiful woman or a beautiful uh, goddess, a beautiful maiden, a beautiful love interest. Um, she does have the actual characteristic in the sky, as outlined by H.A. Ray, of looking in one direction and kind of walking in the other direction. You can see like her knees and feet make her look like she's walking to the left, but she's then looking back and firing her bow to the right. She's dabbing. So we have figured. Yeah, she is. Yeah, that's right. Um, she's looking one way and walking the other way. So. You know, that's why she has to look away. But in, there's myths where, like, a woman is walking away, but then she looks back, like, oh, hmm, yeah. Lot's wife. You know, don't look back yeah. at Sodom and Gomorrah. You're going to turn. So can you see how the, the image is? In fact, she's chained to a rock. That would probably be Ophiuchus, which is obscured by the uh, painting or the engraving by William Hogarth. But right next to Sagittarius on the other side of the Milky Way is Ophiuchus, which often plays a mountain, sometimes plays, uh, you know, a tower or a cave. Um, so this, this, this scene, like the artists definitely 
incorporate celestial elements. And we can even go back to the, this is something like 565 BC or BCE, if you prefer. This is definitely Perseus because it says it with the head in the bag. And he's, he's fighting Cetus is the name of the monster and the name of the constellation that I just showed you. And it says Cetus right there, except in Greek, it's spelled Ketos. K, that's a K on the left. And there's a thing that looks almost like our letter B, but that's their E in this one. There's a plain old T, just like our T, a plain old O. And then what looks like an M is actually their Sigma or S. So that's Ketos. So this is, there's Ketos on the left. There's Perseus. It says Perseus. It actually reads right to left in this one. So the, the thing right by his nose is a P. And then there's another one of those E's that looks like a B. That backwards P is actually a row, which is R. Anyway, that says Perseus. And then the woman with her hands on her hips, like, come on, Perseus, you're going to save me already? Hurry up. Maybe my parents will let you marry me. That's Andromeda. And it says it right there in the ancient thing, again, reading right to left, starting next to her hips. It says A, and then that funny-looking zigzag is an N. That delta is a D. You know, it's a triangle. That's Andromeda. Like this is Hogarth's. This is Hogarth's pattern exactly the way Hogarth has it. The whale, Perseus. See how his leg is sticking way out? That's exactly the same as um, Aquarius. The forward leg of Aquarius. He must do that a lot of is, squats. That Perseus. Look at the touch yeah, on it. Those guys. Didn't skip like well, they're all celestial. They're celestial. Look at the look at the leg of Aquarius there, you know, outstretched leg. It plays different roles in different uh, myths. But mm. anyway, that's uh <laughs> that was intense. That's what I yeah, that's what I wanted to show you guys. <laughs> I was like, you asked about trauma, you mentioned myth and trauma, Ben held up myth and trauma. You said Hercules, and then I was off to the races. <laughs> uh Dave, fantastic as ever. Thank you very much. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, mm. gentlemen. I know I, I rambled on longer. You'll have to break it into five different episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Do it live. Yeah. Oh, that's fab, Dave. I mean, uh, links are in the show notes if anyone wants to find out more. If you want to go to stormythworld.com or uh, check out your books. You can get your books off Amazon or you do uh, sign copies as well, don't you? Well, I've, I've de-emphasized that. In, have you? In the, ignore yeah, me then. It's harder, it's harder to get a hold of hold of me to do that. Um, I'm right. kind of taking those links down. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just a pain in the butt. Like, to send it to England, it costs, like, as much as three books. And, you know, oh, some right. people want to pay that. But that that gets into our uh, messed up geopolitical economic order that I could spend a lot of time on that causes trauma. And, and I'm not joking. That's, like, a part of this. That's all oh, part of this. But, we um, could uh, we could sign some for you if you want, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, yeah, people can people can buy the books on Amazon or what's it, like water. What's what's that one in England? Waterfords or water? Waterstones. Waterstones. Yeah, I'm on there. I'm on. You know, I think um, it's distributed by Ingram, which is worldwide and. Um, you can even go to your local bookstore if you want to support them and say, hey, can you order this book? And they'll say, yeah, but it'll probably take six months because Matheson, you know, <laughs> we don't keep them in stock. <laughs> but I also do have a bunch of um, online courses. That's what I've really been working on more now. I'm, I'm emphasizing the online courses. And I've got a bunch of those. There's the Celestial Bible Tour parts one and two are up online now. One called Recovering Deeper Self, which goes into some of the things and elaborates on some of the things we talked about today. One's called Celestial Mechanics in the Myths. 
And you can find those off of Star Myth World. I also have another website called undyingstars.com, which will take you right to those courses. But uh, I've already done a lot of self-promotion on on the show. So people who want to you know, see more, I'd, I'd love it if you want to check that stuff out. But I'm just really happy to share this. And I think it's hopefully helpful and positive to, to people. Certainly, yeah. Mm, absolutely. I'd say so. Yeah, and I'd recommend, I've, I've read one and a half of Dave's books. I recommend them. Really easy, you know, for someone who's an unsophisticated, filthy Scythian like me to understand. <laughs> very, very easy to understand and and read. So uh, yeah. get them bought. Check them out. Yep. Dive deeper. Yeah. All right, Dave. Shall we sign off? Thanks. Then? Yeah. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Hopefully, we'll do it again soon. I'm going to check out that episode 144 that you recommended me to. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I can't recommend what you guys are doing highly enough to everybody. Who doesn't want to hang out with the three lads from Lancashire? And, <laughs> you know, all joking aside, it's really important. This is how this information gets out to the world. What you guys are doing is important. This is a, this is a time of, uh, you know, a lot of confusion, misinformation, <laughs> economic angst, and, dare I say, trauma. So what you guys are doing is really important. It's really important. It's very kind of you to say. And yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Right. Cheers, Dave. Let's sign off then. Stay on the line, Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're watching live on YouTube, we'll be back very shortly for some news. Some a whistle top stew. Uh, what? <laughs> a whistle t- a whistle top stew? A whistle stop to it. Through Davos, maybe? Oh god. Oh yes. I hate oh, Daleks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not gonna be doing much on Davos. Better people than us are covering it. <laughs> right. Sayonara. See you soon. Ta-ra! Bye. Bye. Right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. If you just joined us on, on YouTube, you just missed a great chat with Dave Parkinson. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's like an onion. <laughs> it stays in the stars, layer upon layer upon layer of meaning. Isn't it? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not bullshitting. The books are great. I really enjoy them. I, went, I read uh, Astral Theology for Life, mm-hmm. first book, and uh, which is like a sort of a good introduction book. Mm. And uh, this, the second one I'm reading is Myth and Trauma, which is a bit bigger, a bit more. It's meaty. Yeah, a bit meatier. And uh, yeah, it's good. Re- highly recommended. Mm. Is that it? All <laughs> oh, right, so end of part two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did go. On. I mean, it's a bumper part one this week. It was, wasn't it? So uh, yeah, you need to schedule at least ninety minutes. Mm. I would say for what for listening to the full extent of Dave's genius and yes, you can't condense uh, can't condense it to an hour, can you? No, you can't condense no. too much to go into. Dave. Impossible. It cannot be contained. Mm. Right, let's move on. Better just do two headlines, I think, this week, aren't we? Capital letters. Show me what you got. Headlines of the week. Got more twin stuff. Oh. Twin stuff going on. Stranger twins. People kept calling me by a different name for years. Then I bumped into my identical stranger... Living in the same town. What? 
What? Say what? <laughs> it is bonkers. It is bonkers. I hit the wrong one. Uh, twins. A man was puzzled why people kept calling him by a different name until he discovered he had a doppelganger. Retired priest Neil Richardson bumped into his identical stranger twin, John Jemison, when they both went on a coach trip. Picture? There they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One, it looks like one's had a harder paper round than the other to me. Him on left. Yeah, it helps to wear in the same clothes, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they always do that, don't they? Put this on. <laughs> oh, Helen's just noticed as well, because yeah. I was pointing at my T-shirt. Uh, Helen's yeah. just commented, mm. Phil's T-shirt! He was going on about the Karate Kid. Synergy. That, mm. That's what you call a synchronicity. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> an even madder synchronicity has occurred this week oh. between myself and Ryan Seven. Oh, I thought you'd found your other twin. <laughs> no. Um, more on that in March. Oh, to wait for that it's, it's quite a good one it's, it's, it's one of the better synchronicities that's happened to me alright good uh, yeah so uh, this duo they live uh, a, mile, a half a mile apart apparently it all started when Neil moved to Braintree Essex with his wife Marion a few years ago he was puzzled when locals would say hello or wave and everyone called him John <laughs> at one point Neil even had to show a cafe owner his credit card to prove he wasn't John he said I realise the cafe owner always called me John but when I explained my name wasn't John, he just won't believe me. It took over a year for the two strangers who lived half a mile apart to finally bump into each other. They met when they both went on the same coach trip to the British Museum in London. Probably looking at one of those Greek water jugs. Mm, yeah. Or maybe the uh, freeze, the seal, the... Uh, what do they call them? The seal, the, the uh, King Deb. That's the seal, isn't it? Den. Seal stamp. It's what they used to stamp things with. Cylinder seal. You find tons oh, of them. Yeah. Go digging around these, you'd be find tons of cylinder seals. Right. Ten a penny. Yeah, apart from the obvious similarities in physical appearance, the two men discovered they also had led similar lives. So this is where it gets a bit more interesting. They have the same mannerisms. Both love poetry. And both used to teach religious education. Which is pretty... A rare? In the same school. <laughs> <laughs> They'd both studied at the College of St. Mark and St. John Chelsea in the 60s. Bizarrely, they both proposed to their wives after just two weeks of meeting them. Both shotguns, eh? Yeah. Two-week knock-up. <laughs> Back in the old days, you have to do the honourable thing, man. That's it. It's a different time now. Yeah. And it, as uh, oh. Apocalypse Matt says... <laughs> 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 they both have a son called Brady Fiegel. Fagel? Fagel. Fagel in it. Uh, they both have four grandchildren and they both sing in choirs. Pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. Sing well, It's mad how they live half a mile apart but sing in different choirs. <laughs> <laughs> you think they, they might both go to the local one. Hmm. More information needed. That wasn't discovered. In the article. Maybe one's Catholic and one's Church of England. <laughs> one's, mm. a, one's a heretic. <laughs> Church of Satan? Yeah. I've got a lot of time for the Church of Satan. One of them was Anton LaVey's butt buddy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can see the likeness, but he's slightly taller and I'm slightly fatter. Former school head teacher John admitted his wife, Jenny, did a double take the first time she saw the two of them together. He added, my only worry is the number of people who probably think I've been ignoring them when they've been saying, hello, John. 
And it's been me, Neil, all this time. Oh, I'm Neil. Oh, poor John getting a shade then as well. Yeah. Uh, the duo participated in a test as part of a documentary and discovered they shared a facial match of 90%. And the test also revealed they share a distant ancestor. Mm. How distant? Don't know. How distant? Don't know. I wonder who that would be. Is it deep ancient or ancient? Yeah, further back. Oh, right. Distant. Mm. Distant ancestor. No uh, sense of chronology given. I was just wondering who the ancestor could be. I don't know. Alexander the Great. That king everyone's related to in the UK. Alfred? I don't know who he is. Arthur? (laughs) (laughs) Like an Edward. I think he's one of the Edwards. Yeah. Edward. Yeah. Okay. Khan. There it is. Ed. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. We've got another one. In the buff, I make £25,000 per month with a side hustle that's so grim, no one else wants to do it. But I love it. Mm. Mm. A farmer has revealed... He, waits in t- he rakes in 25 grand a month by selling semen from his prized water buffalo. Oh, Ooh. right. Well, you've got to have a prized water buffalo, I mean, aren't you? He has to wank it off then, does he? Just uh, shoot the juice to me, Bruce. And- <laughs> Did you, that's Did you not wank off a water buffalo for 25 grand? A month. A month? Yeah. How many times do you have to do it? Once a month. Have you not seen the programme, like, Countryfowl, when they, like, masturbate a pig? Just for kicks? No, to get the semen out. No, I haven't. Yeah, that's what they do. This is somewhere in, uh, is it Cambodia? Thailand. Right. Mongol Mongfet <laughs> from Thailand says he's been offered eye-watering sums of cash for the beast, which he calls Big Billion, presumably because of all the money it makes. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 25 grand a shout. A shot. Maybe. 25 grand a month. A month, month, right. No, uh, we don't know how many ejaculates that is. I wonder how much comes out of a water buffalo. What kind of container are we talking about? I'm I'm assuming it's seven emissions of semen per orgasm. Right, okay. You can just go at it all the time, though. It'd just be dust by, like, week three. (laughs) You'd have to leave it to recharge. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not familiar with buffalo <laughs> testicular anatomy. Ah, I'm sure it's similar to other mammals, like pigs. <laughs> I'll have to talk to the... Uh, the um, who is it who does country file now? John Craven. He does it I'd still, yeah. You'll know. One of them. He'll have the answer. How many times can I wank off my buffalo, <laughs> John? <laughs> He'll tell you. There he is. There's, Mon- hey. there's Mongol. Hey, 25 grand a month. I know. What a wanker. I bought these, <laughs> I bought these bad jeans. <laughs> Housekeeping. Oh, straight in. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's numerous, numerous ways of doing this, and my favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth. Let people know. Send people links on the, your social media platform of choice. Uh, my favourite is buying merch from the merch store, which is the Amish loot chest. Um, 
get your uh, literally communist <clears throat> hoodie or bacon nuts t-shirt or bacon nuts receptacle for your liquid of choice. What's Buffalo Farmers? That's a, a um, mug version there. Uh, yeah. Price is incorrect. <laughs> Contractually obliged to uh, to say that. Is it 20 quid for a mug now? I've no idea. I've not looked for ages. Wild. Who paid 20 quid for a mug? A, m- a mug? <laughs> <laughs> I've no idea how much they are. Well, I know we make practically nothing on them, but, you know. <coughs> Why don't you join us on Element? Yes. What, what kind of things can you do on Element? You could send us news clips, videos, mm-hmm. audio. Um, you could even submit show artwork. No submissions this week. No submissions. So I just bastardized the YouTube thumbnail. Yeah. I think on uh, Element, general Make chat up. is, and um, and the news stories are the two hottest zones, I think. The others are a bit quiet at the moment. Element's the alternative to Discord. Our Discord mm-hmm. server got shut down just before Christmas. Merry Christmas from the Crescens at Discord. So we have Element as a backup. It operates very similarly. Layout's a bit different. You need to get used to it. You don't need to download an, an app. You can use it off a web browser. Or there are various other apps other than Matrix, I believe, that will integrate yeah. and interface with Element. But that's sort of the hub, the community hub, if you want to... Uh, it's the easiest way to get hold of us, get in contact with us, and drop your eavesdropping ways and become a producer and help produce the content from the show. Whether it's guest suggestions, focus cheer requests, news stories for part two. Jingle requests. Jingles, ideas for jingles. Like yeah. Helen just said, uh, apparently there was a sound, bite there, a sound bite there from Armish Matt. I don't know what you said, probably something about testicles. <laughs> because how much semen does a water buffalo emit, something along those lines. Limp Dick City. Yeah. Mm. Too much and you end up there. You could uh, leave us a review. Moving on. Um, And we'll read it out. Yeah, we haven't had an iTunes review for time. Pure time. No. (laughs) Pure time. And uh, you could, but you could, if you listen on Spotify, you can give us a five-star review there. It Mm. takes a tenth of a second and it all helps. Yes. You could request some focus chi. Yeah, Yeah. if you're uh, going through a, a difficult time. Maybe you're dealing with some trauma. Yeah. Maybe. maybe you've got a job interview coming up. Maybe you've got a big presentation from the guys at the office. You're a bit nervous about it. You're like, oh, fucking, I fucking hate these cunts. I've got to do this fucking bullshit. Um, let us know. Put a request in the uh, Element server or email us at thearmistinquisition at gmail.com and we will focus our chi energy into your pineal gland or your... Buttocks. Or your prostate. Or your prostate, yeah. Yeah, the prostate, wherever you want it. You, mm-hmm. you could even request it in a particular orifice wow. if you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know are, we that able, are we that accurate? Well, it won't hurt to try. I mean, it could be go. like super, super focused. Yeah. It's going to take cheap. energy, isn't it? Yeah, it's fine. Mm. Uh, five pound per chi request. <laughs> Word of mouth, that's your favourite, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, that's what I opened with. I think Ben opened. Opened. This section. Well, I always open it with word of mouth. Yeah, but he didn't say it this week. Makes me up. You just weren't listening. Yeah, you did, actually. You said your favourite way is word of mouth. Oh, my God. Save Plotland. What is your favourite way, Phil? <laughs> word of mouth. Like I said five uh-huh. minutes ago. No, you didn't. Word well, of mouth. I'm not playing the tape back live. 
Listen to it tomorrow. Yeah, we'll do. I think that's it, isn't it? I think that's the only the, the all the ways, isn't it, to become all a producer? All the ways bar uh, tossing a coin. Yeah. Toss a coin to your Do it for the lads. 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 You know, because oh, we're northern <laughs> and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Yeah, if you go to theomersinquisition.com, you'll find a PayPal button there and you can give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation and donations at a level of £50 or over. Or whatever unit of currency you are on, Canadian quabooks or Australian dollary dues, um, we'll grant you the rank, the status, the cachet of being uh, an executive producer for that episode. Mm-hmm. Looks great on your CV, your LinkedIn. These credits are real. Yeah. We will back you up. Put it on your IMDb if you've got one. Yeah. Get it on all these socials. Mm. Write it on your national insurance card for some reason. Yeah. All right, then. I think it's time. Time to thank them. Yes. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Let's oh. thank the producers for episode 266. We have Richard Morris, Zach, Helen, Nick, and uh, Danny G. Oh, Danny oh. G. <laughs> Willie G. Chungus never seems so sus. (laughs) (laughs) Events to electrical, apparently. Yep, thank you. Thanks for your support this week. They are, yeah, so amazing in their love and. The dwarf, the current, the grape, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the wind, the chest feeding, communist, the the based sigma chat, the the baby penis, inner asshole, the dime bar, the number 11, the bee gun on the bus, the blind man, the bee chungus, the cripple, the mother, from hell, Yes, thank you. Thanks for your support for another week. It's much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, you were on 13 Questions podcast this week. Was that? Yeah. I thought it was last week. Did it come out this week? Yeah. All oh, right. okay. Yeah, it was. What were the questions? No, listen to it. Yeah, listen to it. <laughs> Download it. It was amazing. I had a great time. Um, go and check me out. What? What's <laughs> going on? <laughs> You tell us what's going on. I was asking you about you, you were looking uh, sheepish. Mention <laughs> that you're on the other the podcast. I thought you would want to say something, promote it, whatever. That's all. Um, Where can yeah. we find it? Uh, I don't know. The usual podcast downloading sites. Double yeah. um, You search for Amish Matt. Um, does an amazing podcast. Um, <laughs> we'll get 266 hits if you search that. <laughs> pounds some mid strength beers. <laughs> <laughs> stifles several burps oh, oh i i heard a couple and uh yeah uh talks I, about i found it like uh therapy when i went on did you yeah right okay did you not um a little bit i suppose it, may, it makes you think about yourself and mm, you talk you, about it and yeah i suppose there was certain things i probably hadn't uh told people before Really? Yeah, I think so. Revelatory. Mm. Ah. Who's got the biggest cock? <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I suppose um, I probably wouldn't have said a few years ago, I guess. But you know, we all mature and 
change, I guess. Have you gone right wing in your old age? Is that what you're telling us? You mean, you mean harder. Harder. harder right wing. I've, uh, yeah, I've bought a gun. And uh, I'm going to live in a yurt. Right. Mm. Yeah. Very good. You're going to get a buffalo. A pig. Just a oh, pig. <laughs> More manageable. Yeah, easier to wank off a pig. Uh, yeah, but they have a surprising, they have a corkscrew penis. So you have to do it in a specific way. Oh, can you, can you show us? <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's where the, the real money is. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, the technique. Oh, my God. Perhaps you could oh, develop a course, sell the course on pig wanking to uh, anyone who'll buy it. I mean, there's online courses on everything these days. There is. But I bet there isn't one on that. Raking it in. Why are you saying you pay for that? Uh, not me personally. I would for a laugh. <laughs> Who doesn't already know how to wank off a pig? <laughs> well, you evidently. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, I posted on Instagram. If you follow us on Instagram, I uh, posted about the 13 questions thing uh, earlier today. But um, I don't know if we're going to put it on our feed. I think we. I think I did last time when I was on there. So maybe I've not spoke to uh, Bill or Adam since you were on, so... Maybe, maybe we could do that. Maybe we could put it on our yeah, feed. We usually slot stuff in. But get it, get it on their feed and subscribe to them while you're at it. And drop yes. them a fucking review. Or yeah. a five-star rating on Spotify. Smash the like button. Yeah. All right. Um, it's been Davos this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a few clips. I'm not doing, like, more the stuff that everyone else is doing, really. Like, the, I don't know, you've seen the clips of Albert Bourlier being hounded by rebel media. and uh, yeah, What we want to know is what's on the meal menus. Oh, right. Good uh, good uh, segue. You didn't even know this was coming. This is the uh, Siemens and Maersk chairman. Food for all 8 billion people in this world. So it's a very important point that you are addressing. Um, my daughter, 24, inspired me and said, Dad, how can you advocate for these zero-carbon value chains if you still eat meat? And so I stopped eating meat. Now the math would say, well, you need to stop eating meat uh, 11 years to compensate for a flight to Thailand. 11 years of, of not eating meat to Well, compensate. I didn't eat meat for... All of the 60s and 70s. So I think I'm clear. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yes, but if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you it has a big impact. If a billion people stop eating meat, I can still fly to Thailand. Ah. <laughs> how, did he, how did he get to Davos? Private jet, probably, like well, the exactly, old days. Yeah, so fuck off. Yeah, but no, but his job is to convince us lot to stop eating meat. That's that, when it'll make the difference, you I see. I don't want so to. So he can continue to no. live his lifestyle. The, the and I predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will be zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. Believe you when I see it. What you need yeah. to do is... Stop making meat so delicious <laughs> if you want people to, to stop eating it. That's, that's the this, solution. I remember, you know, this is made me think about something that I think about a lot for some reason, which is a, a, a an interview with Jay Leno. And I think he must have been on like Top Gear or something like that. 
and it was maybe 20 years ago and he has he famously a, a car collector and he has like loads of like ridiculous classic cars and they were kind of asking him about you know electric cars and what he thought about them and he thought well eventually what it will be is petrol cars or diesel cars or whatever will just be collector's items you know people won't drive them anymore and i think eventually that's what it's going to be with with meat a tin of corned beef in a museum yeah i think it will be that um if you can afford it i think they'll they will um increase the price of real meat in inverted commas so it goes beyond artificial meat and then you know the artificial meat through is, carbon taxation. Yes, and the artificial meat is therefore bought more often because it's seen as cheaper. Well, it is cheaper. It is cheap artificially. Yeah, artificially cheaper. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know this is coming. They've been saying it for fucking decades. Mm. My problem is, is that this artificial meat uh, it probably ain't good for you. Maybe not. No. To see. No, it's, it's an open question. Yeah. People haven't been eating. What is it? Wonder burgers and whatever they're called. Impossible, what is it? Impossible burgers. burgers. They haven't been eating them for thirty years. Mm. Oh, thirty years. We've got a massive explosions in bowel cancer. Whoops. But you don't know, do you? No. No. Well, well, I think I said it the other week. They've been telling us for decades. Cut down on processed foods. Yeah. And what are they what are they offering? The most processed mm-hmm. food imaginable. It's grown in a fucking vat. It's not even real food. Oh, tell you what. Desert Island Disc today. Um, <coughs> pollen. What's his name? Eat food, mostly plants. John Campbell. No. The, the, the guy who originally coined it, someone Pollen. He was on Desert Island. Anyway, segue, but it's interesting. It was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, process mush. Let's uh, go on to Al Gore. Al Gore was at Davos because he's, he's, he's got a raging boner for the climate still. Mm. And, uh, got this clip from one of his panels where he, get, he gets a bit um, excited. And, and just to put the science in a, a slightly different context, people are familiar with that thin blue line that the uh, astronauts bring back in their pictures from space. That's the, that's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere. Uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level. FEMA camps and black helicopters and gay frogs. It's And causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric (laughs) rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come 
come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had. And we need have had and we need to make some changes. What the hell did they used to talk about before climate change? Have we got any clips from like um, Davos nineteen eighty one? Ice ages. Well, in the seventies, yeah. There's the famous the ozone uh, layer and things like that. Ozone layer, acid rain. Acid rain. It was, was ice ages one. in the seventies. There's a famous is it Leonard Nimoy who, who did a sci-fi uh, science documentary type show in the seventies when they were talking about that was sci-fi the, Star Trek. No, uh, no, obviously off the back of Star Trek, he did a science documentary program i think talking about ice ages that was the big scare in the 70s we were going to uh, enter an ice age imminently i mean i need to go back and watch an inconvenient truth all the claims that were made made a lot of claims in that yeah are you retarded probably bad um okay this is one of my favorite clips uh and i've got tucker carlson covering it because it's great Time to check in with our lizard overlords in Davos, Switzerland. What are they up to? Well, this. Is that a cheering? Punches, does he? He's what like, a bunch of freaks. Um, <laughs> it is a little also. bit like our man up there, um, Yaz Flute. Oh, yeah, Anchorman. Yeah, he's a bit, isn't he? Yeah. Bit Jazz Flute. I'm thinking, you know, Fifth Element. Invisible Jazz Flute. Yeah. The Fifth Element, when she has the things inside her, she gets shot on the stage and they have to get the. <laughs> and they pull out the things. What are they called? The elements. Never seen the fifth element. I haven't. (laughs) Whoa. Multipass. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great film, Fifth Element. All right, I'll watch it. What's it called? John Campbell? John Kimball, Detective John Kimball. Have I just had a uh, synchronicity with Helen? Fifth Element. I didn't even see that. Or did she say that? She copied me. Oh, I don't know. Wow. So delaying the streams, I don't think that's mm. even possible. No. <laughs> well, um, anyway, moving away from Davos, uh, Rishi Sunak got in hot water this week. Oh, yeah, saying. locally. Apparently, my wife saw his plane fly over. Was it a Hercules military <laughs> transport plane? Because I saw one of them. It was, well, I don't know. It was like a big, she said it was a big green one. <laughs> oh, right. That's, I don't think that was had Rishi Sunak. No, yet. because I thought it was like blue. No. Saw a military, big military transport plane. Right, okay. Go on, Sunak. She Seat, said it yeah. before you. Seatbelts. Mm. Uh, so he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He was doing some sort of TikTok shite and took his seatbelt off, uh, quote unquote, momentarily while he was speeding through the backwaters of Lancashire. And um, 
Yeah, he's he's got a bollocking for it because uh, people called him out and said, you're breaking the law, mate. Is this his second police fine in the matter of a year? Yeah, because he got off a of partying, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Got, he got one for COVID and now he's had one for this. And uh, apparently there was like, pressure on, because it happened in Lancashire. It was the Lancashire police, wasn't it, who yeah. for giving him a fixed penalty notice and... Oh, so this is politically sensitive. Oh, God. Is this something from Angela Rayner now? Oh, no, no. All oh, right, okay. No, I've just got the I've got the offending clip of okay. here. You'll like this. One of my New Year's promises to you was to grow the economy and to death. <laughs> Think. Always wear a seatbelt. Shit. Remember that one? That's that, good. That was done quick. That's really good. A good. shock. Uh, yeah. public safety yeah. videos. So there was good firework, bonfire night ones, wasn't there? There was. Boom! Oh, there was sparkle in my eye! Yeah, face uh. gone. Shit. Wow, you got me. That was that was good, that. Good. Yeah. And Rick rolled you. You did. You made me jump, yeah. Yeah. Good. Is, yeah. That, is that your work? No, I didn't make it. No, it was okay. off TikTok. I'm glad it's out there. It was uh, one of the that's producers important. sent it to us. I think it was Nick or Zach. I can't remember. Clunk Click, wasn't mm. that... Um, Jimmy Sapple. <laughs> what? Clunk click every trip. I'm pretty sure he was associated with that, with that advert. Matt Apocalypse has just put clunk click on the, uh, on the chat. Do you know if you don't put a seatbelt on a child in the back, they go into the front of the car with the force of seven Jimmy Savills? Clunk <laughs> <laughs> click. That. Every trip. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a great uh, Savile meme this week. It was a, a picture of Jimmy Savile, and the text was something like, um, the media told you for decades this man was a philanthropist. Mm. I thought, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, they did. Yes. Because if you know, there are other certain famous philanthropists, and if you bring up any idea that maybe he's involved in things that he shouldn't be, you know, like t- taking flights to a certain island. You know, oh, well, that's ridiculous. But the media told us that Savile was this... Uh, Sir Jimmy Savile was this mm. great public servant and hero for decades. It's like, but Davos isn't on an island, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think philanthropist is one of those words that will get a different meaning in the future. Yeah, full-on rapist. Philanthropist. Full... Full-on rapist. Oh, what's going on? This is weird now. Uh, well, that's because uh, Charlie Charlie Robinson says this, and uh, oh. Helen's a, a fellow fan of macroaggressions. Macro. We haven't had Charlie on for years, you know. We haven't, yeah, it's literally been years. Maybe we should get him back. Maybe. Limp Dick City. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Played it. I played his clips for him when I did Union of the Wanted right at the end. I, I think he took it well. Did he? Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Who's got the biggest cock? Um, sticking Ooh. with UK politics, uh, Jeremy Hunt, mm-hmm. the current Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. Right, well done sorry. for saying it right. That's, uh, it's been compared to Mr Bean <laughs> due to this incredibly informative and not... <laughs> so what we talk down to someone, begin with P. Patronizing. Patronizing video that was released this week. Hi, can I get a flat white, please? Oh, oh, my God, God. While so my coffee is being. Sorry. What the <laughs> fuck is this? 
It's Mr. Bean. It's Mr. Bean's going to tell you about inflation, it's man. Amazing. It's the same as the Sunak car video. It's the same, right. same energy. Do you know this inflation thing you were talking about? Sort of, you know, uh, oh, fuck. quantitative easing. Mm. Uh, just Mike Duncan again, history of Rome. Talking con, about, con clipping. Yeah, talking about, you know, uh, creating more coins and the, the ancient Romans never got a, a grip on the fact that if you put more money into the economy, it causes inflation. Yes, you've uh, you've spiked to the wall. We're, we're going to come on to that. Uh, Matt's just, uh, Matt Apocalypse in the chats, how come you didn't play the Blair Davos <laughs> clip? There was a couple of clips of Blair going around because he's... He's well into digital passports. And, oh, yeah, uh, he tried about... to do that. Do you not remember in yeah, the, the early, early noughties? Yes. And it was scrapped. And his foundation is into digital ID. Right. And he was pushing it at Davos. He was on a panel with uh, Albert Buhler, CEO right. of Pfizer, uh, the head of CEPI, and a couple of other politicians. And he was pushing for health services to digitize, digitize records, uh, vaccine passports, not just for the ones we have now, but for the future multiple shot vaccines that are coming, apparently. And it's weird because I saw a story today about the the new Moderna RSV vaccine has mm. just been given the all clear for uh, the UK. Mm. So and it's chilled. So I expect to get a letter. It must have got full full clearance and not emergency clearance, like the COVID ones. But the COVID are the COVID ones still under emergency clearance. Oh, I've said it. Sorry. I don't, I don't know. Yes, I would expect if you've got young kids, expect to get an invitation for an mRNA vaccine very soon. But that's a side note. I didn't play the Blair clips because I watched all his talking segments on that panel, and the guy's an idiot. He's not that bright. He's he's a guy. He's, he spoke, you know, maybe three times in the hour panel, five minutes a time, said nothing much other than a couple of odd sentences which which people have taken hold of and posted them on twitter is an empty head is nothing to say really apparently that's what um people said about him after on reflection when he was like coming to power in the late 90s they were going to interview him and like i can't remember who it was who was reading this about and then he came out and he and they thought Whilst they were in the meeting he said oh yeah that was really good and then he came out and then he sort of thought to himself what did he actually say he didn't say anything no, in you like can a tell, two hours. We all, some people are gifted mm. at, at speaking a lot and saying nothing. <laughs> yeah. And he's a, he's Maybe a, I'll be at Davos next year. He's a great example. Well, he's tipped to be next in line for the throne. Uh, Klaus Schwab retiring and Tony oh, Blair really? taking over. Really? Whoa. Yep, that came out this week. It's not wow. been confirmed or anything, but yeah, I don't think we've anything to fear from Blair. He's, a, he's an empty added piece of shit probably should have been up in the Hague for war crimes and uh yeah not, not concerned with him more interested in this guy jeremy hunt at the yeah, moment he's quite quiet uh, isn't he because he actually has some power as the uh, mm. chancellor hello <laughs> and he's a wef stooge as well he's a young global leader and a multi-millionaire hi can i get a fat white please <laughs> while my coffee is being made <laughs> he doesn't say fat <laughs> Hi, can I get a fat white, please? While my coffee is being made, let me tell you what we're doing to halve inflation. Halve? Oh. I'm afraid... That's not very ambitious, is it? No, I I'm afraid nothing. You want to, you want to like, take it down by three quarters, really? That's what I was going to say, yeah. Well, yeah. the target is 2%. 2%, yes. yeah. Yeah. Oh, not very ambitious at all, Jeremy 
hunt. Mm. Coffee is getting more expensive. A year ago, it would have been around £2.50, but now it's gone up to nearly £3 a cup. And the price of the weekly shop, if you look at food prices, has gone up by about 16%. And for the poorest families, the things they typically buy... Those people. Beer and fags. <laughs> Frozen chips and ice cream. Magazines. Bindis. Betting pancakes. slips. <laughs> Ray Bentos. Yes, all-day breakfast pie. Turkey dinosaurs. <laughs> yep. Banana cleaners. Curly fries. <laughs> those, those hoodies with... Garish lions and tigers <laughs> decorating them. What? <coughs> Gone up by even more. Yes, they're very expensive now. Coffee. Bank of England's inflation target is 2%, but currently inflation is about 10%. That means more expensive food, fuel. It means unemployment going up, no businesses failing. Pound in your pocket is worth less Pound in your pension is worth less. Mm. Pound in your savings is worth less. Mm. Than it used to be. There are lots of reasons why inflation... Ah. Right, the reasons. Here we go. So, you and me know the reason. You have already lied to me. Ben already knows the reason. Trillions of pounds worth of extra currency. Yeah. Well, let's see what the real reasons are for inflation. Can't wait. Because according to the champion. The champion? (laughs) Chancellor. Champion (laughs) Chancellor. (laughs) Jeremy... <laughs> One of them is COVID. Well, oh, COVID. So a virus created inflation. <laughs> how's, how's a virus create inflation? Strange. And we found a vaccine and came out of lockdown. Global supply chains struggled to cope, and that pushed. He's blaming the vaccine. He's just saying words. <laughs> he blames the vaccine. If you listen carefully. In your pocket is worth less. Let's try and listen to the microphone. <laughs> Is he it? I'm definitely going to Davos next year. And it used to be. There are lots of reasons why inflation has risen. One of them is COVID. When we found a vaccine and came out of lockdown, global supply chains struggled to cope, and that pushed prices up. Another is Putin's invasion of Ukraine, oh. which pushed... Glo- he is Hitler. Has he, has he got a Liz Trust cup? <laughs> <laughs> Global gas prices to their highest ever levels. And finally, even after gas prices have started to come down, economists say that energy prices will remain high for some time. Why would someone need to? Why would they stay high if the gas prices come down? Someone needs to doctor this video so it's like Liz Truss and 11 years of Tory government and all that sort of (laughs) stuff on on the cups. Chop chop different things in. Yeah. Yeah. Someone will. And all that means that the price of a cup of coffee has gone up. People who transport the coffee beans... Are... Oh, we're getting a lesson now mm. in why the coffee's uh, dearer. For, for us retards, <laughs> us plebs, who uh, don't understand these things. Over the oceans have to pay more for their fuel. Yeah. People who transport the coffee beans inside the UK have to pay more. And the yeah. result is they have to put up the price of a cup of coffee, otherwise they lose money. So what's the plan to halve inflation? Uh, well, we are... In- Stop printing fucking money! <laughs> Investing a lot of money in renewable and nuclear power. 
Do you like how they change the music when we come to the solutions? That's kind of upbeat. Yeah. It? yeah, it's a common it's trick a in major chord. political messaging or propaganda, whatever you want to call it. So that our energy prices aren't at the whim of the international gas markets. We're investing a lot in a national energy efficiency programme. So, so that, this is the other thing as well. That, you know, The only reason that they're starting to invest in these like mini <laughs> nuclear power plants is because like, the unit cost of energy now it's gone, you know, what is it, five times the price of what it was a year ago or 18 months ago. And it makes these things affordable or people will pay, be willing to pay that because it would be half the amount but still double what they were paying or what we were paying. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it's just a, a security aspect. You know, yeah. don't be don't be reliant on hostile foreign powers for your energy. No, I've just yeah. realised... The music has changed to the WEF theme that was being played. <laughs> so we use less energy and help prevent climate change. And we've taken very difficult decisions to balance the nation's books so that markets have confidence and don't punish the UK with higher interest rates that mean families with mortgages have to pay more. And that's what's happening. And that's our plan. Thank you. So, <laughs> what did he say? I don't know what they're doing. So he's just going to build nuclear power plants, and that's going to stop that's inflation. Stop energy it. efficiency. Right. Ed- energy security. That's those words, isn't it? Yeah, and energy efficiency. I'm more lagging in your loft. That'll cure inflation. Am I going to have to get like a heat pump? What are they called? Oh, Ground source heat pump or an air air heat pump? A pump. Am I going to get a pump? Yeah. It'd be no good in your house. Too, too old. I know, it's too old. You need a, a super, like, well-insulated new build for them to work. Yeah, may as well knock it down start again. Yeah. Your house will be outlawed before long. I bet. That, I wonder if that will happen. <laughs> It'll be like slum clearances, and we'll all be putting high-rise blocks. I was driving through blocks. somewhere yeah. the other it's day. The, it's called but... the 15-minute city? Yeah. Yeah. No, so handy. <laughs> I can't resist uh, having Jeremy Gunn. Sorry, Jeremy Hunt. On the show without playing this. Well, first up after the news, I'm going to be talking to Jeremy Cunt, uh, Hunt, the culture secretary, about... Cunt, Hunt, uh, the culture secretary. And the health secretary, Jeremy, Cunt, Jeremy Hunt, is also expected to apologise. Circumstances changed, Mr Cunt. Mr Hunt had to... The health secretary, Jeremy Cunt, uh, Hunt, according to... The health secretary, Jeremy Cunt, Q, uh, Jeremy Hunt. Jeremy Cunt had... Jeremy Hunt is left. Just behind... Jeremy Cunt, uh, Jeremy Hunt. The paper says the health secretary, Jeremy Cunt, Hunt. Jeremy Cunt, Hunt. Jeremy Cunt, Hunt. Jeremy Cunt, Hunt. <laughs> A-A and Jeremy Hunt. The man that you're backing, Jeremy Cunt. I love the Cunt Hunt. So, the so Cunt Hunt. <clears throat> you can tell everyone who ever has to talk about Jeremy Hunt is always thinking, don't say Cunt, don't know, say yeah. Cunt. And then you dig straight. Yeah. My favourite one is still to come, and it's the Lancashire BBC Radio Jeremy Cunt. <laughs> surely, surely. Calls. And then doesn't correct himself. <laughs> a, a, a female. I'm so sorry, Jeremy Hunt. I've never said that before in my life. It's usually men who say that. We're waiting to hear from Jeremy Cunt. Health Secretary Jeremy Cunt. Health Secretary Jeremy Cunt. And that's given us Jeremy Cunt. Looks like Jeremy Cunt. Jeremy Cunt. Jeremy Cunt. Jeremy Cunt. The Health Secretary Jeremy Cunt has. In the last couple of minutes, we've heard from the Foreign Secretary. What has Jeremy Hunt said? That's right, Jeremy Cunt. Jeremy Cunt, the the (laughs) Hunt. (laughs) Personally, I think people should just grow up. Fuck off. No, not growing up. Jeremy. Oh, it never gets old. Oh. Correct. Yeah. 
I mean, he does come across as a bit of a cunt, doesn't he? Absolutely. Mm. I mean, Rishi, I mean, you know, for a billionaire's husband, you know, he doesn't come... I don't I wouldn't call him a cunt. I call him, like, a bit of a wet lettuce, maybe. Um, devoid of character. I wouldn't call him a cunt. Well, yeah. That's very charitable just, of you. Just Thanks. wait. Give it a few months. Yeah, exactly. Remember that the clip we played from that documentary from when he was 18? <laughs> we said... Uh, like, well, not middle-class people. Not working class. But, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I grew up with all sorts of people, all different, well, you know, middle-class, upper-class, working-class. Well, not working-class. <laughs> obviously. That's the word. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts we need to do before we uh, play? This might be my favourite Biden clip ever. <laughs> no, I think we're good. We're Just good? Praise yeah. Shabalon. <laughs> and all the Helahim. It was Martin Luther King Day recently. You know, the the uh, yeah. really Milk Day. I have a dream. Unveiled that new statue that looked like someone eating someone out. Oh no! Oh, yeah, it's pretty horrific. But um, Joe Biden, Bo Jiden, creepy Uncle Joe was doing some some event somewhere and he was on stage, and um, Martin Luther King the Third was there. Right. His uh, son, grandson. 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 No, son. His son, one. He was Martin Luther King II. Right. The doctor. I I believe. So I'm getting my history wrong. But he was there with his his wife. So MLK. Yeah, because it's MLK's daughter-in-law. And um, it just so happened that while they were there at this event, it was her birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. uh, Oh, he wasn't there, was he? Who? Biden. This is the event. Biden's on stage. Oh, he's there. Oh, no. At this event. Why don't they know M- now? M- MLK the third is there with his wife. Is he going to talk about... What's he called? He was a bad dude. Oh, <laughs> what? Where is he? Where is he? Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> uh, no, he doesn't go into Corn Pop. It's better than that. Because it's someone's birthday. Been a good friend for a long time. It's an honor to spend... King Holiday with the uh, National Action Network and with the King family, Martin and family. It's uh, the daughter, it's, uh, yeah, it's Martin Luther King III and his wife is Andrea Waters King. That's the uh, the birthday girl. Been a good friend for a long time. It's an honor to spend King Holiday with the uh, National Action Network and with the King family, Martin and family. And uh, understand, uh, you know, uh, there's Martin III, we celebrate a legacy of your beloved father and mother. They work for the beloved community. But congratulations today, the honorees, uh, including gone. your wife, uh, who I understand uh, is a birthday today. Well, look, my wife has a rule in her family. What's oh, the rule? Fucking hell. Don't say blowjobs. <laughs> By the way, I, like the, I love the way he says, your wife. Your wife. He's gone. Way. I mean, he's gone, hasn't he? Because he's having to sort of. <coughs> you can see the moment where he's he was comfortable, 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 sort of a bit jumbled. But then he's gone now. Oh no, the fog's coming down. Uh, there's something I've got to remember something here about my wife and what she likes to do when it's someone's birthday. What's what's the rule? What's Jill Biden's rule when it's someone's birthday, man? They have to come up and sing happy birthday. Club. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. You have to do something. 
on somebody's birthday, sing happy birthday. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Valley. Happy birthday to you. Fucking hell. I mean... Uh, uh, what's she called? Andrea. Andre. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alvin. Happy. Happy. You tread on it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alvin. Happy birthday to you. Oh, God. Just painful, isn't it? So painful. You know what a, a pro would have done? A smooth operator. A bullshitter like Blair. Got like that. Some happy birthday, Hold the happy mic birthday. out. Hand it to the mat. Big smile. Maybe even encourage the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And now, can't think let me come back to Total Recall. <laughs> Blind dog face pony soldier. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> come on! <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, what a shame. Poor guy. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, in, there's a lot of... Uh, Top secret information being found laying around his house at the moment as well, isn't it? <laughs> found another six today in another house of his. <laughs> Just next to one, one of the toilets. From when he was a senator. Okay, That's no. before he was VP. Yeah. Well, that be like early 2000s or something? Right. God, no. Oh, well, I'm sure they all do it. Yeah. I'm sure they all do it. I was thinking that, that it, you know, I bet the places are just littered with it. But the thing is, is that when the, the orange man did it, Mm. They fucking screwed him and they yeah. wanted to prosecute him and all this shit, throw him in jail because mm. it's so divisive over there, isn't it? But uh, yeah, this guy's he doesn't know what's happening, does he? Does he really? He's, he's certainly not a do- doctor of thugonomics. It would be interesting if he did get charged with something and then like the defense would be you couldn't try him because he was unfit mentally. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. yeah. Do not think? Yeah, the, hey, our clients had his head open twice for brain surgery. He's not fit stunt trial. Exactly, yeah. That'd be, uh, I mean, who's going to hold the polluters accountable? <laughs> it also holds polluter, I'll call polluters accountable for the most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. I don't know. Ugh. Right. Shall Home we, time. Shall we fuck off into the night? Yeah. I think it's only right, isn't it? It is. It is. So where should we go? Should we go to Somerset? Wang Wan fam, you're going to Somerset. Can we go to the Isle of Cox? <laughs> the Isle of Cox. How about that? Yeah, why not? Good. Mm. You, you. Based Sigma Chad. <laughs> Based Sigma Chad, you. Uh... Right, barn raising next week. Oh, yeah. So we won't be here on video anyway. No. no. Audio will be out as usual. Audio. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Done. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Thanks for the solid. We'll Hope you entertained. Oh, yeah. Are you not entertained? I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you got. Good job. Rum boy. 
respect, epic dub. Well, the thing is, what you do, you call between the devil and the rock at a half place. Thank you for watching. We drum in that messaging around the dangers of COVID pretty diligently for a full two-week period of sustained propaganda. Ding dong, the witch is dead. She's gone. Jacinda. Gotcha. Jacinda, yeah, it's gone. It must have a genetic organism, living tissue over metal endoskeleton. Like a judgment day and terminating, more like. Because I'm literally a communist. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. What a bunch of freaks.